reported. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. So, well, hello, Steve. Hello, Marlo. <laughs> hey, technology is working for us today. It is. Am I sounding a little echoey there? Uh, a little bit. Did you hit your echo cancellation? Let's see. I'm not I sure. I that. Uh, yeah, you could do that over there. Yeah, I'm in an echoey room. I just noticed. Oh, this can't be changed while recording. So we'll have oh. to do that the next segment. <laughs> Maybe so. Yes. Yes. Hey, at anyway, least you're not on an island and we actually have internet connection this week. That's a that's a very positive thing, isn't it? Although it might be nicer to be on the island. Although I'm in Vegas. It's not terrible. I was in LA okay. yesterday and Maybe Treasure in Island. Vegas. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There, <laughs> there you go. That's too funny. Uh so are you tired of um have you have you tried to cancel something lately, like a like a cable um, you know, television or a satellite television type of scenario. Actually, about uh, six, seven, seven years ago, when we moved into our house, um, I had to go through a very laborious process of trying to cancel a uh, satellite television subscription because where we moved from and where we moved to, um, we had trees and the new house and there was no satellite reception whatsoever. So I had to go through the process of canceling and it was a pain in the butt. And that's still kind of true today with a lot of things. And, you know, and we'll get back to the cable thing in just a second, but I know I, I, um, throughout the year, I subscribe to a lot of things and I think a lot of people do this and I have this habit in December because it's end of the year, you're starting to do some tax stuff again. And I'll say, what am I paying this six bucks a month for or this 22 bucks a month for? Then you realize that you signed up for something and that you really don't use it a lot. So, so you go through the cancellation stuff too. Nothing irks me more, Steve, than if I've signed up for something online that I can't cancel it online. You know what I mean? They actually pop oh, up yeah. and say, and they, they hide it every, you know, in these places. And then you got to call them and then you're on hold for 28 minutes. It's this whole rigmarole. And I'm sure that they know there, I'm sure there's science behind this that if you're paying $5 a month for something and if they can make it as uncomfortable as they can to cancel, most people will just give up and say, ah, it's just five bucks a month, right? What's your time worth? Yeah, that's exactly right. So that, that goes on a lot. Well, um, anyway, the FCC now, uh, they're, they're, uh, ruling on early termination of cable and satellite, uh, television and that you can actually just walk away from those contracts. Really? So that's kind of interesting. It actually passed three to two in a subcommittee. And, uh, so it's moving forward and this might just spell the, the you know, the end of these ridiculous fees that some of these companies try to put on you or or unable to get out of these contracts, you know, they know that they have, 
you know, not the latest in technology anymore, you know, and, you know, but people stay with them because they're locked into it for two years or three years or whatever. Well, you get lazy too. And my biggest argument with the, whether it's the satellite or the cable and I'm like, okay, there's great incentive to hop on board. Where's the incentive to stay? Right. And that's the piece that's been missing because I, I used to be that one of those people that, okay, every two years I'm switching satellite providers or I'm switching cable providers because the introductory two-year offer uh, was great. Yeah, uh, absolutely great. And, you know, first six months you get the free HBO and the free Showtime and the free this and the free that. And over the two years, your price is locked in. As soon as you hit that two-year and one-minute mark, uh, your prices go up dramatically, right. drastically. Um, a lot of people, I was one of them, it's like every two years, it's like, okay, I'm leaving now. And they're like, why are you leaving? Because you're jacking my prices way up because there's no incentive for me to stay. Yep. There's incentive for me to go somewhere else. Right. And they never did really figure that out. No, frustrating as heck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is I, I would love to stay with a provider, but I'm when you go from sixty nine dollars a month to two hundred and twenty nine dollars a month, holy crap! And obviously, the uh, cell phone companies have figured this out. Uh, you know, in advance of this, I won't say it's in advance of this ruling, but but what they do, they know that people jump around a little bit. So what they do is they lock you in with the device instead. Mm-hmm. You know, have you bought a phone recently? No, I, I'm I'm. I keep getting the offers that I'm due for an upgrade, but uh, there's sure. nothing wrong with my old phone. So I, I went in, I just upgraded to the Samsung 23 and, and they tried to talk me out of that because the 24 is coming out in February or something. And Did you get yeah. the Ultra or did you get the FE? Yeah, of course. I like to take notes on my phone. So I always have the pen option. But you can't just buy it outright anymore unless you go someplace that sells the phone directly and you walk in with it, right? Really, the only way you can do it is on a monthly basis, and they'll give you like this crazy amount, like eight hundred or a thousand dollars for your old phone, and they give you the credit incrementally. So, you know, they'll say, "All right, your phone's going to cost you twenty five or twenty eight bucks a month over the course of thirty months, and then we're going to give you a twenty five dollar a month credit back towards that uh, from the deal from your old phone." So, in order for you to get the entire credit. You have to stay on this agreement for 30 months, but it's just the phone trade-in deal. It's not about the actual service. And that's the kind of thing that I'm getting to here is that they have worked this loophole that they've figured out where they can still keep people on their programs for a long period of time. Because a lot of people after a year and a half, they'll look at that and go, well, I still got $500 worth of credit to, to go, but I don't want to switch from AT&T to T-Mobile even though T-Mobile got a little better deal going on for me right now, I still have this $500 I got to pay off. Or, or, you know, you know what I mean? Because you have this trade-in value that they've, they've, they've given to you. I haven't explained myself well, have I? Uh, sort of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so, well, you, you don't want to walk away from the credit. And, and then if you do try to walk away, then, okay, you have a bill due. You so have a big bill correct. due because you have to pay off the phone. And I've advice. Of course, I'm an early integrator with a lot of this stuff. So I've, I've walked into my care, my, my provider and, uh, and I'll have, you know, five, eight, ten months left on this thing. And I've had to pay that, that extra credit off so that I could get to the new phone. 
I've done that many times. Maybe we can get your provider as a sponsor of the Tech Ranch. (laughs) Send me a new phone every week, please. Or or Samsung. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's uh, so there's always workarounds, and I'm going to guess that our cable companies, our satellite providers, are probably going to do the same thing now. If this ruling passes, that it won't be on the um, on the service they provide. It might be on some of the latest and greatest technology that they lock you into. Hey, sign up, and we'll give you this for you know twenty eight bucks a month, but we'll give you twenty seven dollars a month in credit for your old stuff when you trade that in. So that you can have the latest and greatest 400,000 channels instead of 100. But how does that work with a television set? People don't swap out TVs that often. No, and and this is a challenge that they're going to have because, you know, their technology is based on a box, right, that you hook up to your television. Uh, And now, you know, like I haven't even, I haven't watched cable in I don't know how long because our Samsung televisions and our LG televisions in our house basically have their own type of cable already built into them. You know, they have a thousand channels of uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Samsung TV. And, and yeah, and I mean, I've been watching Storage Wars for the last, you know, three months now. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a Storage Wars channel, 24-7 of Storage Wars. It's just What's hilarious. your favorite deal? Um, I think Daryl, when he bought that uh, one unit for... I forget what he paid for, $13,000, but it was full of all these, these prints and whatever. He ended up with like $140,000, $150,000 worth of stuff out wow. of it. Yeah. Did pretty good on that deal. I'm waiting for the one that's like a really cool barn find in a, by the storage unit. And hey, there's this classic car in there. Have you ever gone to a, an auction like that? No, I haven't. I've it wanted would be to. fun just to go. I, I, well, knowing me, I would have to get in there and bid on something, right? I would buy a bunch of went, units. And, oh, my. If there was something with technology in there or something, I'd probably just buy well, it. Well, it's, it's a bigger version of the pallets you buy. That's exactly what I was getting to. You know, I see something on a pallet. Not that I've bought a lot of these, but I'll see something like a laser tube or something. And it's like, oh, the laser tube is worth the whole pallet. So I'll just buy the, I'll buy the pallet and give away the rest of the stuff, right? How do you, how do you like those deals. couple pairs of shoes I gave you that were odd sizes, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> what we're talking about is, uh, there's places you can go buy, um, return items, uh, like right. from Amazon or other, other marketplaces that you buy online. Somebody returns something, doesn't go back in inventory, can't go back in inventory. So there's wholesale places where you can, um, uh, purchase these items, they'll bundle them up and, and throw a bunch of random things on a pallet and people bid on the pallets and Marlowe's one of them. I have done that. I've, done, I've actually done pretty, pretty well. It's not that guy. I've never resold anything, Steve, in these things. I just buy them because I see something I can use or a couple of things I can use. And generally you don't even know what you're getting because there's only maybe a couple of things that you can actually see. The rest of them are inside the pallets, so to speak, you know, so it's like a storage wars type of thing, I guess. Um, but yeah, I bought a, I bought a few pallets for like 350 bucks and, uh, I'm sure I've had many thousands of dollars. That one, by the way, um, there was a case of four, was it four foot or six foot LED, uh, light bulbs, the, the fluorescent tube light bulbs. And, uh, um, that was a great deal because those, those bulbs were like 20 bucks a piece. So 
uh, I, that was worth a thousand bucks right there. That was just amazing. That stuff's gotten really expensive. It has. It has. LED, it just has not come. To, you know, usually new technology comes down in price at some point. LED has not. Well, it depends on how you look at it. The bulbs themselves, maybe a little bit, but the uh, the television sets that run on LEDs, those have come down dramatically. So, you know, if you go out and, I mean, you think about this, we just bought a 65-inch television just a few weeks ago for $238. Are you kidding me? That is a great deal. Welcome back to the Tech Ranch. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. So we're going to change topics a little bit. Uh, you told me something right before we started recording, Steve, about a new plant, energy producing plant that uh, is a similar type hasn't been built for 50 years. Uh, I need to know more about what's going on here. Well, okay, so there's a couple... Let's start first. So first of all, there's there's a fabric, and, and you and I and a group of people have been working on some nanotechnology with a nanofilm. So this is not a far stretch from going from nanofilm to uh, a fabric that can extract up to 12.6 kilograms of uranium from, guess where? Coal. No. Seawater. Just what? drop this fabric in the ocean and you can collect up to 12.6 kilograms of uranium from seawater per ton of fabric in 24 days. So less than a month, you can collect that much. Well, of course, what that uranium is, is fuel for nuclear power plants. So this is a different way without the extensive mining to collect the fuel for power plants, for nuclear power plants. So how much are they able to collect in 24 days? 24 days, 12.6 kilograms uh, per ton of the fabric. So what this means is that one ton of fabric can produce 192 kilograms of uranium in a year. Now, to put that into perspective, the U.S. consumes about 17,500 tons of natural uranium per year. So if you do the math, the U.S. could meet its uranium demand with only 91 1,260 tons of this fabric, which can be reused over and over and over again. So, so it's like throwing a fishing net out that you catch fish yeah. today and then you catch fish tomorrow. You can catch. Well, I'm kind of thinking of it in terms of so um, whales with the baleen, the the where they filter fish or right. plankton and things out, kind of like that. It, it, you've You've got that filter system. So the fabric acts as a filter collecting the natural uranium. So basically it's an environmentally friendly process that would save the resources, costs, and ecosystem the impact of mining and milling and refining uranium ore as the process returns concentrated natural uranium. Wow. So because of this... There is no move on now to actually build another plant or is that in addition yeah. to? Well, we'll come back to that. So, okay. um, so 91,260 tons of fabric may seem like a lot, but it's less than a quarter of the amount of fabric that the U.S. uses for new t-shirts every year. And okay. I know you're a big t-shirt guy. It's still a lot about, though. 
it's still a lot, but yeah. it, it, which is about 400,000 tons. So seawater, and this I did not know, contains approximately 4.5 billion tons of uranium resources, which is nearly 1,000 times more abundant than land reserves. So there's more uranium floating by a lot naturally in the ocean, naturally occurring, than what we've got as far as stores on dry land that would be mined. So extracting nuclear fuel from seawater and using it in breeder reactors could provide us with a stable source of energy that would last for longer than the sun, making nuclear energy sustainable for longer than renewables. Wow. That is fascinating. Now, China is currently testing this uranium extraction method. Uh, they're using different fabrics in the south of China Sea, uh, South China Sea, uh, in about 7,212 square feet. Uh, it's just basically dangling down from a floating platform. Is there, this brings, so the very first question I have, there are other, you know, many, many other rare uh, minerals, whatever, gold, silver, whatever. Mm-hmm. Are these things floating around the ocean as well? And can this technology be used to harvest those? That's a great question because I kind of went there myself. It's like, okay, well, what else can you harvest with the fabric? And and you can't see the photo, but on the photo, of course, uranium, um, it's yellow because in North Dakota, we have um, yellow cake at the surface yep. out in the badlands and um People can go see and go, hey, what's that yellow stuff? Yeah, that's uranium. <laughs> kind of, yeah, okay. Um, but on the fabric, you uh, in the medium, you see this yellow. It just naturally attracts the uranium. So hmm. what other mediums can you use in a fabric form like this just to mine the ocean or filter or sift through the ocean yep. and collect? other rare earth elements because of course a lot of discussion on rare earths um, surrounding battery production and electric vehicles and electrification and you and I have had this discussion that the mining involved incredibly intensive very impactful for the environment but now there may be a filtration process um, a passive system that would do the mining out of the ocean now the question I've got is are you disrupting the natural balance or equilibrium of saltwater, of seawater, the oceans? Are you changing the makeup of the ocean so, okay, that krill can't survive because there's not enough of this element? Or, right. you know, so what's the cascading effect? What are the unintended consequences of doing this, which needs to be fully vetted before anything like this should happen? But you talk about a, a, a passive, unimpactful at least in theory, a way to mine some of these elements. It seems incredible. And it it, it seems incredibly incredible. You know, I, I, I think of a couple things. You know, first of all, I wouldn't think that uranium, you know, right off the top, you just think that, all right, this is this is harmful to any type of life. So maybe taking it out of the ocean might even have some beneficial, you know, I, I'm my guess would be your scenario with the Badlands, for example, that there's Natural yellow cake at the bottom of the ocean somewhere too, and that's why it's all mixed up in there, right? That's that's it's just like oil. There's so much oil in in uh, our oceans as well because it's naturally occurring. It's just spewing oil all over the place, 
And, um, but this is interesting. And, and I would think that the same is true with, with, with many minerals. Well, and, I, and just going back to the oil, if you think about, so most recently the BP platform explosion and people think about all the oil that, that spewed into the Gulf of Mexico. Well, what people don't understand is that was, that, that spill was a fraction over the duration of the entire spill was a minute fraction of what is naturally occurring spread out across the entire floor right. of the Gulf of Mexico. So where it was impactful was it was a large discharge in one area specifically. And that's why you had the environmental damages to the coast, but in the bigger picture, in the grand scheme of things, it was a very small amount of oil that actually seeps up from the floor, from the seabed floor, that's naturally occurring. It's just the difference is it, it's spread out over such a large area that you don't get those coastal impacts. Right, right. And and I think some of these rigs, these offshore rigs, uh, the reason that they place them where they're at is because they find fissures and oil is spewing from them. So they tap into that resource uh, and it slows that oil coming into the ocean naturally anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you really think about that, we've actually done, you know, the ocean a service if you want to go that route or whatever because you are capturing oil that was already going into the ocean. So when there's a spill... It's just a spill of what was that naturally occurring anyway. Yeah, you're capturing that spill, basically. Yep, yep. Because you're reducing so, some of the pressures. Exactly, exactly. And that's, a, uh, in my opinion, a kind of a cool thing. Good for the ecology. And we're back. Don't miss a minute of the Tech Ranch as we explore the cutting edge of tech with Marlo and Steve. For more exclusive content, visit thetechranch.com. All right. So now we're, we're collecting uranium out of the ocean in a most amazing way using fabric. So now we're going to take this uranium and do what with it, Steve? Well, it's fuel for nuclear power plants, which if you go back to the ecology side of things and what's the cleanest energy that's out there because we've got clean coal technology. We've got clean oil, natural gas, propane, um, very clean fuel sources. Um, but there's a filtration process involved. Well, if you want to talk about the cleanest of them all, it's nuclear power and Keros power has just received the go ahead from the U S nuclear regulatory commission to build its Hermes demonstration reactor at the Heritage Industrial Park in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, making it the first non-light water reactor approved for construction in the United States in more than 50 years. Now, if you go back to the history of nuclear reactors, uh, there's a difference between light water and heavy water. So you think back to World War II and there was a lot of onus put on not letting the Nazis get uh, a nuclear power or nuclear bomb and you needed heavy water for that. So that's older technology. The light water is a little bit game changing because the heavy um, also has the heating constraints and different 
makeups. Light water, that gives you the ability to do these smaller um, little pocket reactors. Say, hey, we need uh, more power in this part of the country or we need more power for this city. That's what the light water does. It opens up a whole bunch of different applications for nuclear power. So how big of a plant is this going to be in, you said it was Tennessee? Uh, Tennessee. So okay. uh, it's a 35 uh, megawatt fluoride salt cooled high temperature reactor. Uh, Hermes is intended to demonstrate complete nuclear systems, advance Keros's manufacturing capabilities for critical components, test the supply chain and facilitate licensing uh, certainty for the technology. The compact uh, the company expects Hermes to lead the development of a commercial scale, so that's going to be next, 140 megawatt EKPFHR reactor, which they're calling KPX. So, but they've received the blessing uh, from the Department of Energy Advanced Reactor Demonstration Program. They awarded a high risk, uh, or a, uh, they were awarded for a risk reducing, uh, reduction funding to support the development, construction, and commissioning of Hermes in collaboration with Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Um, but there's a bunch of labs involved with this. So, uh, the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, which is a big nuclear testing facility, Idaho National Lab, uh, Materian Corporation, Electric Power Research Institute, um, so, this is a paradigm shift, a, a little bit of a game-changing way to look at nuclear power. So you, you have the you opportunity know, in, to be cleaner, Dakota cooler. Here, what was that? In North Dakota here, how big are the plants that we have? Oh, I forget offhand the megawatts. Um, Coal Creek Station's sizable. Okay. Um, you know, I should know that number off the top of my head, and I don't. I'm actually surprised that you don't. So I just was curious in comparison to what we produce here, how this is going to look and the impact. So do they give you a number, for example, like how many homes are they going to be able to provide power to? No, they haven't done that yet because they're still in the research phase. Okay. But like I said, what it does is gives you opportunity to do the little pocket reactors. So you can put up a smaller reactor here and the fuel is going to go further. And and it's just, it's game changing within the industry. So when you say a pocket reactor, what kind of size are we talking about here compared to a standard um, reactor that would be used for making electricity? Well, so, but the meth, so part of it behind the methodology behind this is instead of building this one giant nuclear reactor to power 100,000 homes, you don't, in the transmission lines and the infrastructure and the costs that go along with that, instead of putting that somewhere and you've got this bigger potential for if there's a meltdown, it's a, a bigger issue, to this smaller reactor, which is more encapsulated, more enclosed, more safe, um, and we can put it a couple miles away from where we need the power. So you're saving all the infrastructure costs. Right. So it kind of goes back to when the electricity was first being put into towns, right? where the town itself would have a steam plant and the steam plant would, and I'm just picking on, on our neck of the woods here, but, but the steam plant would, would produce electricity for the town. And then, uh, in the wintertime, it would also provide steam 
uh, for heat in many of the buildings uh, in the downtown sectors or what have you. So it kind of is going back to that in a way where it becomes very uh, democratized, I guess you could say, where where uh, um, these smaller or or large communities can in uh, you know provide for the people who live in their communities. I think it's kind of cool. Well, the bigger picture of this, think of what it does to the grid, because we have a lot of conversations about stabilizing the grid, all this electric technology and, you know, even a smart home. How much electricity does a smart home add to consumption of electricity off of the grid? And the grid is the unstabilizing factor in this. That's the the scary part of the equation. So now you... Talk about grid security. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't you're have to worry stabilizing. About yeah. Yeah. If there was a, a terrorist attack in Texas, for example, and all of a sudden we don't have power in Minnesota or North Dakota or Oregon, you know, because that impact impacts, you know, it, it really does. It impacts a lot of a lot of states around it, if not the whole country. Yeah. Now you have the ability to go. Okay, we're just gonna take that off for a little bit, fix whatever's wrong, and and you're not impacting, you know, take a look at North Dakota when they had the snowstorms and things with the wind power that failed down in Texas. Right. And we had rolling brownouts in North Dakota, even though Texas is on its own little grid, but the impacts were felt up here. Exactly. You wouldn't feel those impacts cascading across the entirety of the grid yeah. or across the entire country. And this By the way, Coal Creek Station about- produces... It's been talked a lot about with the um, with solar and wind as well, you know, where you would have uh, a very, very large solar field, you know, outside of town that then would supply energy just for that specific town. It's almost specific use type of scenarios. Mm-hmm. This would allow that to happen, too. And it sounds like, you know, it might even I'm guessing probably more economically than than what like a wind or a solar would would be able to provide electricity for. Well, and think of the infrastructure costs that you're saving with those power lines that run for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Exactly. I mean, that's expensive. And the it maintenance is. of those lines and So very, very interesting. What I'm I'm assuming you're an advocate of of um you know nuclear power. I I that's the only one we're missing in North Dakota. I, I want a nuclear power plant over in the Red River Valley producing energy. Great place to put one. So do you think people still have, there's a little fear factor with that? Yeah, but I, I think the fear factor is off of this massive nuclear power plant just down the road because people think of Chernobyl and Love Canal and, you know, the scalability matters. Look at, uh, uh, take a look at a ship. You know, that's small reactor technology. Right. And look at the the energy production for anything from a, a small nuclear attack submarine all the way up to a large nuclear aircraft carrier. Meets all the needs. And on on a, on a sub, for example, I mean, how long can they stay down? Like six months at a time or some crazy yeah, number, it, it, right? basically infinite. I mean, they're recycling all the oxygen, they're recycling all the water, they're recycling everything in that small little area. Um, so they can stay down as long as they need to stay down. That's just incredible without having to come back up for fuel. You know, it's just, it really mm-hmm. is incredible when you think about it. So the nuclear side of things, the, the energy, the the fuel, 
was the limiting factor because the fuel, the energy produced, gives the ability to recycle the water, recycle the oxygen, recycle everything uh, because you need energy for all that. By the way, Coal Creek Station produces 1,151 megawatts of electricity. Okay. So per hour. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Just saying. So the, um, this new technology then with capturing uranium in seawater, uh, is there a process? And, and I'm only asking you this, Steve, because I don't know much about you, you know, the process of making, um, electricity. I mean, I understand the nuclear process of this, but the, the uranium itself, is there a process that the uranium has to go through to get ready for, uh, being used in a nuclear plant or can they just use it? Um, you know, can they no, drop a little there, bit of There's a lot there? of processing that goes into that uranium ore, uh, to get it ready because you have to, first of all, you have to stabilize it. So okay. you process it, refine it, purify it, and then stabilize it within, you know, so you have rods. Um, think of it as kind of a battery, but it, yeah. it yes. for simplification purposes, yes, it's a I, rod. I, I'm familiar with nuclear rods, yeah. Yeah, so you have to have a stable material in that. Okay. So you wouldn't be able to, you know, grab it from the ocean, and if you're a nuclear aircraft carrier, you know, grab it from the ocean and then actually use it on board. There's still another process that has to go Right, through. you have to okay. refine the ore. Okay, okay. It's kind of right. like going and picking up yellow cake and throwing it in your flux capacitor. It's not going to work. <laughs> you knew that's where I was going, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you were, but, but you could. I, at some point, I mean. I suppose if you have the facility, not? an aircraft carrier is large, right? You could probably have a facility to process uh, the ore on board. I mean, I suppose it's possible. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why you couldn't. I, although I wouldn't want to be the sailor that gets stuck at sea for that long. That would be, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, the half-life of, uh, <laughs> of your job might not be so good either. So, um, so hey, that's all interesting. For 500,000 years. All right, go. Yeah. <laughs> you said that's, a, you know, that's how long but you'll think about that. Over. Yeah. But think about that though. So you have the ability to outlive the sun. So think about nuclear reactors as a viable fuel source for space exploration. Yeah. You know, screw the dilithium crystals. Exactly. Exactly. So I have another topic, I guess. Do you have anything else you want to talk about as far as... No, I just... I was reading those articles, and and we talk about energy a lot, and, you know, from a... uh, Nuclear has taken kind of a pause, because it kind of went through... Um, you know, World War Two, and then got into the fuel for the Navy, most notably. Right. Um, and then power generation, and then a few foibles, and then it kind of took a pause, didn't get a lot of talk, not a lot of advancement in the technology. So advancing nuclear technology at these scales, that is... Potentially game changing because it, it's kind of like it just paused. It, it it was okay. It is what it is, and that was it. But now the ability to innovate within the nuclear world, um, you know, spacely sprockets coming up next. 
Well, we certainly have to do something. Uh, we are not keeping up with and or, uh, electrical production. We're using more and more all the time again. And we had a little bit of a, of a period here when the convergence of LED lights came on board, but that's pretty much over. Pretty much everybody now has moved to LED lights. And that was significant because if you ever look at the chart of electrical usage in this country and around the world, it was on an upward spike. I mean, it was just like this, like mountainous type of thing, just up the side of a mountain. Every year we're using more and more electricity. And then about 2014, 2015, it kind of leveled off a little bit. And that's because people started to switch to LED lights. That's how big of a deal LED lights were. But now we're... And if you think about, but if you think about the LED lights too, I mean, it's kind of a, it's something you don't think about. It's a passive energy use. Right. Everybody just flips the switch. I do have a question though. Your house. Yeah. Do you have LED Christmas lights now or do you still have the old bulbs? Yeah, I, all, all LED. Although I, I did put any up this year, so it'd be a little grinchy. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Bah humbug, you grinch. But you're right. I mean, even, even that scenario, uh, you know, you used to could, you could only like plug in like two or three light strands per, you know, whatever per electrical socket because of the energy usage they would use. Now, it's a whole different scenario because you have, uh, you could, I think I string 128 of them together, couldn't you? Oh, could you imagine what Clark Griswold could do today? <laughs> that would be amazing, right? Thanks for staying with us on the Tech Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. So we were talking about the cable bill satellite bill scenario a little bit earlier and how you might be able to get out of those contracts. But the other thing that I I find interesting is the, you know, there's been a big move on the last couple of years to cut the cable, right? Especially when Roku started to become a thing and streaming television shows became a thing. And, and it was actually a cost-saving measure that you could do. You could cut the cable um, and then go to these streaming platforms to watch content but, you know, it's not cost savings anymore, is it, Steve? No, not at all. It's amazing how the industry has adapted. I would have to imagine um, that they're probably making more money now off streaming services than they ever did with um, running through cable. I'm thinking like Paramount or whatever because, you know, you have the Paramount channel, you're paying for that. You pay, you pay for everything nowadays. And if you don't pay for it, and this is what's really exciting to me is that, you know, what used to be maybe a 15 second commercial, sometimes like if you watch YouTube TV on, on your television or Hulu or whatever. Now the ad segments are about as bad as they used to be when you were watching general television. So it's like watching TV all over again. And like in the old out. days. Turn on channel yeah. 13 and, and your 22 minute, uh, and, and this is the thing I used to talk and I, you know, you and I talked about this a lot too. You could watch Seinfeld, for example, in 22 minutes. You could get, instead of two episodes in, in a half or in an hour, you could basically get almost three done in, a, in an hour because you got rid of the commercials and you could still do that. But if you're on any of the free platforms watching that, you're right back to two episodes an hour. My, uh, provider. My cable provider, uh, I think they got smart about that because I'd started getting the habit of, oh, okay, show's on. Hit the record button and then I can blow through that show 
and skip all the commercials. Well, now they only want to let you go back an hour. So on the, the DVR side of it. Right. So you don't have the ability to go back and, and then the space for recordings is much limited as well. Interesting. So I'm like, huh. So I, I think they're catching on, but cause I've gotten in the habit of, okay, show's on great. And we're going to skip all those commercials yeah. except for the Lumi ones. Cause I kind of find those amusing. Well, you got to some commercials are great, right? Some uh, are. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just, you know, the thing with, with, uh, watching television, you know, you either are going to pay to not have commercials now, kind of like when emergence of cable came out and HBO came out and you could have, you know, regular television, cable television that you paid a little bit for. If you don't want the commercials, move to an HBO or a Showtime to watch your content and then you don't have commercials, but you pay more for that. Cutting the cord is right back to where we were when cable was first coming out. And they figured it out, and now we're paying for um, basically every channel that you watch. It's not like, and, and I'm starting to see this, by the way, now, too. Did I see that, that uh, was it HBO and Hulu? are They're starting to bundle themselves. Kind of like how cable oh, yeah. companies used to bundle themselves too. You would go in and, you know, for $79.99, $79.99, you'd get this, 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 and this. And now they're actually doing this on streaming platforms. It's hilarious. Yeah. You can get stars and encore and Cinemax and this bundle for one set price. Right. Um, the one thing I wonder about that though too is if you're going to start bundling all this stuff, then at what point, uh, are these, bundling relationships going to start turning into, well, let's just buy that company we're bundling with or that network we're bundling with um, because financially it makes more sense. And then now you're limiting what is out there for content. Well, it's the whole scenario of cable all over again. It is. It's it, just a, it, it truly a different re- reiteration of it. Yeah, it really is. It, it's just, it's just kind of interesting to watch this taking place. And I was on the forefront of cutting the cable. I mean, I, I, I've always loved the streaming options and I was very early integrator to it. And even in the days when, you know, caching, you know, you'd be watching something or whatever. And then it would have, of course, have to start to cache and, and, uh, you, it slow down for a little bit or stop or what have you. But, but it is. It's just interesting to watch and, you know, there's this big article on, uh, in the verge on YouTube. YouTube will have fewer ad breaks on, on their YouTube TV scenario. So if you watch YouTube on television, which a lot of people do when they have YouTube TV now and all this stuff, right? Um, they're going to show less commercials now, but they're longer breaks. So, you know, if you watch YouTube, it's always like after two or three minutes, you get like a 15 second commercial. It was driving everybody nuts. What they're doing now is they're going to the basic standard television format of you're going to watch for a little while and then you're going to get longer commercial breaks, bathroom breaks again. Isn't bathroom that breaks is what they are. <laughs> Go up and get some popcorn. And, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Grab a snack. So I, I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I don't do a lot of streaming anyway because so going back to the okay you're going to have longer commercial breaks which is back to original TV but the part of the streaming that I don't buy into is 
okay, you're just going to sit down and grab something randomly and watch. No, you're going to put time into finding a program, watching trailers, checking out movies. It's like, okay, 40 minutes and I haven't started a show. I'm going to bed now. It's, it's just, I don't have the time to put in, to put in time to, for the sake of putting in time to figure out what I'm going to watch. Right. What I'm going to spend my time on. I, yep. I just, that aspect of the, for me is, you know, I'll pop TV on it. And this is part of the reason I, I, I just can't cut the cord is it's just background. It's, it's stuff in the background. Right. And if you think about it, if you have network programming, and network shows you want to watch. As soon as they air, they're up on the network website. That's true. So there's a little bit of a delay, but they're up there, you know, because they, and that's for the commercial side of things because they want to give more value to watching it live, uh, because they want their advertiser dollars to remain up versus, okay, I can watch it in almost real time or an hour later by just going to the network website. Take The Voice. My wife will never miss an episode of The Voice. She re- I have to record them all, but she could watch it online, but it's extra work. Right, exactly. So there's the convenience factor of it as well. Yeah. Right? And for me, that's huge. It's like, I'm not going to sit there and spend 20 minutes or if I have a half hour to actually sit down and and kind of check out, I'm not going to spend the bulk of that time trying to figure out what I'm going to waste my time on. What are you going to go to sleep? <laughs> I'm just going to go. Yeah. What's the last uh, full movie you watched? Uh, old Dads. Oh, how on, was it? On Netflix. I laughed my butt off. It's hilarious. A little tongue-in-cheek spoof about elderly fatherhood, about uh, California, Southern California culture, wokeism. I, I laughed my butt off. It was hilarious. I, I, it's and all while poking fun, tongue in cheek into a lot of societal norms. I love that movie. I'll have to watch that. Who's in that? Uh, a minor comedian and kind of some B actors. Um, but it just it, it's put together well. It, it, if if you take it as a little irreverent, it's hilarious. Old dads. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Welcome to December 23rd on the National Day Calendar. Today, we're digging into our family histories and embracing a quirky, non-traditional holiday. Imagine a beautiful tapestry, each thread representing the lives of our ancestors. These threads weave together to create the rich, intricate pattern that is our heritage. From languages, traditions, to physical traits, our roots influence who we are in profound ways. Today on National Roots Day, we encourage you to delve into your past, uncover your unique history, and celebrate the lives of those who come before you.
This is an important day, isn't it? Yes, most people don't take the time to research their history and their ancestors because it does play a huge part in who we are today and how we move and how we view the world. Nicely said, Latoya. From the deep connections of our roots, we transition to a holiday that prides itself on being for the rest of us. This celebration was popularized by a 90s television sitcom and features aluminum poles, airing of grievances, and feats of strength. This tongue-in-cheek rebuttal to commercialized holidays brings us a dose of lightheartedness to the season. Yes, we're talking about Festivus. So whether you're wrestling the head of the household or sharing your disappointments at the dinner table, remember, it's all in good fun. Since what you make it, don't make too much fuss. Just wish your friends and family a happy festival. So I'm just glad you're not sharing your grievances with us right now, but this is crazy. And of course, founded by Dan O'Keefe, who was a writer on Seinfeld. So, yeah. And it was like back, like he founded it like in the 60s or 70s or something like that? I think, you know, like 10 or 15 years before he was a writer for Seinfeld. But Seinfeld is what popularized this, yes. That is interesting. Yep. Well, yep. I'm LaToya Johnson. I'm Marlo Anderson. Thank you for joining us as we learn something new every day on Destination Celebration. And let the airing of grievances begin. This is Outdoor Issues with Mia Roberts and North Dakota Game and Fish Outreach Biologist Greg Gullickson. Christmas is upon us. Greg, what a year. Great weather, fishing, hunting numbers. We're truly blessed in North Dakota, aren't we? Absolutely. You know, we started the year off with quite a bit of snow. Thick ice. Ice fishing was a little bit tough. A little bit hard on our deer population. I was amazed how those pheasants pulled through. And coming into spring, when those ducks migrated back through, we look at all the snow and ice when that waterfall came back. Boy, the waterfall number is really good. The summer fishing was excellent. And even getting into the first part of the archery season and upland game, you know, starting with grouse and pheasants. And even our deer season was a really good season, even though numbers were down as far as tags issued for that deer gun, it was still a good season. The more sunrises and sunsets that I see, the better the year is. Absolutely. Hey, we'll have more blessings when we come back. It's the Rough Rider Poker Tour Casino State Championship from Spirit Lake Casino and Resort. $220 unlimited buy-ins and re-entry through the first nine levels in each of the four flights. It all happens December 29th and 30th for the qualifying rounds, and the champion will be crowned on December 31st. $150,000 estimated prize pool. All four flights will be live-streamed on Facebook and YouTube. And get this, a $10,700 W. KLXX AM, Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. ABC News, I'm Mike Dubusky. Two former paramedics have been found guilty of criminally negligent homicide in the 2019 death of Elijah McClain. They were accused of administering an excessive amount of ketamine to sedate McClain after an encounter with police. 
The United Nations Security Council has passed a resolution calling for expanded humanitarian access throughout Gaza, but it stopped short of calling for a ceasefire. ABC foreign correspondent Britt Klenet. With intense close combat still raging inside Gaza, a grim new milestone. More than 20,000 people have been killed since the start of the war, according to the Hamas-run health ministry. Gaza plunged into humanitarian crisis. The UN Security Council adopting a resolution to expand air deliveries to civilians there. The US abstaining in the final vote after vetoing a version of the resolution that called for an immediate ceasefire. Russia also abstained from that vote. This is ABC News. They may be rare, but rogue waves do happen from time to time. One sparked panic on a cruise ship full of tourists off Norway's coast. They were supposed to return to Tilbury, England, but instead had to be detoured. ABC's Marcus Moore reports from London with the latest. The ship named MS Maud, bound for England, setting off from Norway, sailing into the North Sea when a violent storm sent strong winds and massive waves into the ship. Windows on the bridge shattered, the vessel losing power and its navigation systems. Passengers wearing life vests huddled together. Remarkably, no passengers or crew were hurt. The ship, now with only one working engine, is stabilized and being towed to Germany. The cruise line is now making arrangements for the passengers to return to England by other means. Chinese state media is reporting that electric car maker Tesla is now one step closer to building a battery factory there. The two parties signing a land acquisition deal for a new production facility in Shanghai. Construction is scheduled to start early next year. I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. The Holiday Super Talk 1270. Bismarck Area Weather. Partly cloudy today. We'll get to around 41 for a high this afternoon. The wind out of the southeast at 5 to 15. Tonight, cloudy. Some snow after midnight. Our low down to 26 tomorrow. Some light snow in the morning. Then mostly cloudy and breezy all day with a high of 33. Are you looking for a great place to live, stay, shop, and play? It's easy to get to Worthington, Minnesota. You should check out Worthington. It's worth a look. I'm meteorologist Sean Cable. Current temp now 37. The next greatest generation is now. By joining the North Dakota Army National Guard, you continue to live life with your goals in mind. Whether choosing to go to school or work at your chosen profession, your service in the North Dakota Army National Guard allows you to build your future your way. The North Dakota Army National Guard allows you to serve your community and your nation while enjoying life right here at home. Live here serve here. Join the North Dakota Army National Guard today. Conservative talk without apology. The regular Joe show with Joe Giganti. Weekday evenings at nine on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Portions of the following program are pre-recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. All right, Mr. Bakken. So we're going to start talking a little bit about the year in review in technology. So I'm curious what you think was the biggest, and then this is in your life, I guess. What is the biggest technology trend or whatever that you've noticed in 2023? <laughs> well, 
Uh, that goes without question. AI. Okay. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. So around what you do, uh, have, have you used a lot of AI yet? No, actually, I, I, a little bit with the chat GPT. Okay. Uh, enough to play with it, uh, but it's not even the, me using it. It's just the impact into things I do on a daily basis. And a lot of those are things you don't even think about. That is true. Uh, and I, I will say that, uh, you know, for me, it, it's amazing the amount of actual work I get done because of artificial intelligence. I, I just, I, I don't know what my life, I, I remember what my life was like without it, but it's hard to imagine that it's just a year ago, just a year that ChatGPT was introduced to the public. And, you know, since then it's just been a, uh, just a revolution of different forms of artificial intelligence that have, have come up. These things have been, you know, obviously been worked on for years. Uh, they just are starting to emerge and at a more rapid pace all the time. Uh, now my just, question for you yes. is you've gotten a lot more work done, but yeah. have you? Well, I, I, I don't think you've gotten more work done because you're a very productive person anyway, but the timeline's been truncated. So if, if you were to put this out in dog years, it's like 2029 for you. <laughs> with the amount of work you've gotten done. But that's the difference. It, it's it's the speed at which you can be productive, the speed that, at which you can do work. That's correct. You know, something that might take me three hours to do, I get done in 15 minutes now. You know, or, you know, even even the simple task of filling out a form or, or uh, sending in the application for a new trademark or a patent or any of this stuff. Uh, and most of the, this, of course, is written but if you train your AI properly, what you're working with, it can be extremely helpful in in the process. And and for me, probably more than anything else, Steve, it's the ideation part of it, right? Have an idea. And uh, I've, you know, I've had a couple, again, in the last couple of weeks, one that you and I need to really talk about, by the way. So off the air, I need to talk to you about something new. <laughs> oh, let's talk about it right now. <laughs> Can't do that. I'd love to do that. Uh, you know, AI, though, cannot take out the garbage. You need a Yarbo for that. That's correct. That's, that's correct. my Yarbo plug for the... Uh, but there's no doubt that, that uh, you know, some people ask me all the time, you know, you need to clone yourself or whatever. And I'm like, I have three or four times already. I mean, I I cannot get over how much work or how many things I get done in a day now compared to what I used to do. I mean, I used to look at my email list of, you know, my to-do list of thousands and thousands of things, and that's not an exaggeration. And I've been, I've, I've been tackling those things now because I have uh, a friend in AI that, that helps me with that. So, so previously, if you were to tackle your email list in a day. Yep. And. 20% of that list, your, your things to do, maybe got through 20% of it before. Oh, my goodness. There's, what are you getting through now? I would say, you know, there was a time not that long ago, I was probably six weeks out in answering somebody, you know, and I would just like go to a coffee shop for a day and just sit down and, and get through most of the emails. Most of the time, by the time I got to people, it was 
it was the uh, the email was obsolete. You know, whatever I needed to answer back was already done. Missed opportunities, all of this stuff. You know, artificial intelligence helps with at least identifying opportunities and moving that stuff to the top. So you use um, it as a filter. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Good way to look at it. I so guess. you have yours trained, and it's like, oh, Marlo might like this. Yeah, oh, it's let's, true. Let's and it's not like that it's, up to the top of the list. It's certainly, I mean, and, and you have AI, if you're using like a Gmail or a Yahoo or whatever right now, there's AI built into that. That's how they're able to filter between if it's a promotion or spam or all of this stuff. It's already, they're already utilizing these technologies more and more all the time, but you can actually take that to another level and, and, and even answering, right? So I'll go in, uh, I have one chat open in that GPT. Uh, just about me. And I, I've asked it, what do you know about me? And it brings stuff up and then I'll add other things to it or whatever. And then I'll, I'll put in there, uh, a couple things I that thought I've I was taller. Yeah. <laughs> I, was taller <laughs> I thought I was better looking. <laughs> hey, your AI is very, very honest. That's true. That's, that is the downside of artificial really intelligence. <laughs> It's so mad at factly sometimes. It's just funny. So when it when it comes back and says that it, it's a great idea or whatever, I'm like, oh, even the AI thinks this is a good idea. That's just so funny when it does that. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, so if when you train it in your own style of writing and things, and then a lot of times, I'll somebody sends me a long email, for example, which is going to require a lengthy response back. I'll just drop the email in there. And I'll say, I would like to re respond in the affirmative or, or I'm not for this or whatever. It'll write it for me. And then I just have to read it and say, yeah, that's, that's pretty good and send it back. All right. It's, it's incredible. You know how I hate it's to me, something incredibly unproductive is going through emails every day. Oh, I hate it. So I, hate it too. I, I could run it through my AI and go, Hey, Give me the cliff note version of all these emails. <laughs> Just boil this down into two sentences, yep. and it would. It would. You could actually do that, yeah. And you look, you look at AI now, like in in Teams and and in Zoom. Uh, it'll listen and it'll actually give you the cliff notes of the conversation that you and three other people had. It's like having your own court reporter. It really is that way. Yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely. Well, I remember about two, three months ago, um, and I, you're like me, except you've got way more, uh, but a couple different email platforms, you know, Yahoo, Gmail, things like that. And I remember they started popping up going, Hey, um, your AI assistant, your AI G Gmail assistant, yes. your AI Yahoo, your AI, depending on what your email platform was. And it's like, Oh, okay. And I never clicked on them because I just didn't because I wanted to see what would happen. And it just morphed into it. So I was like, hey, we're giving you a courtesy call that you're, you can use this AI assistant. And now it just uses the AI assistant. And it's amazing. I, I, this will freak you out a little bit and you need to, you need to check this out. So I, I now down. I, I talked to AI. Just like you and I are talking, I had I had an idea um, for a town here in Nevada, Pahrump. I think you're familiar with Pahrump, and uh, just to the west of Las Vegas. And I started discussing. I thought, you know what? I'm so tired of typing all this stuff all the time. I'm just going to talk to the Chat GPT last night. 
And I did. And it talks back. And, and, you know, Whose we had, is it? Is it Leonard Nimoy? Um, it was not. It was, it was kind of an Australian female. Scotty? Accent. It was a Scotty. <laughs> I think you could probably change that up a little bit. But like I'm talking to you now, outside of the humor, you know, and the laughing or whatever, but, you know, having a, we were having a conversation. And I'm like, and, and then it would, it would actually, and then I said, but unlike having a conversation with you, it's kind of this idea. I said, uh, can you, can you create a logo for, for this idea that I have? And all of a sudden here's a logo that shows up in the, on my screen. And so there's that that's possible or, you know, give me the, the, the next steps I have to do to make this event a possibility or whatever it is. Right. And even though I'm talking to it, these things are being done for you. It's just incredible. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, you start thinking about what's next, right? And I, I truly believe that's what, what's next is that you and I and everybody else who wants to participate will have our own virtual assistant in an AI. And your AI, you'll just at any given time just say, you know, whatever, whatever you want to name it, right? I'm going to name mine Steve and, <laughs> and I'll just say Steve. Uh, make a reservation for, for four tonight at, uh, 8 p.m. at blah, blah, blah. And it will make that phone call for you and set up the reservation or, you know, get the, get the results from the doctor's office from yesterday's blood work or whatever it is. It will do these things for you and coordinate that stuff into your calendar. And at some time in the future, it will actually, you'll say, Steve, you know, I need to have a car to get me over to blah, blah, blah. And it'll reach out to an Uber or Lyft and actually schedule that car to show up. Well, we're halfway oh, there now. We are. Uh, yes. Alexa, hello. Yes. I, although yes. the voice I keep having in my head, thank you very much, because now I'm going to have this stuck all day, is, hello, Dave. What are you doing, Dave? Dave, what are you doing? They should have that as a as airplane a voice two option. reference. Okay, yeah, that is too funny. That is too funny. Dave, oh uh, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. Dave. Sometimes AI should worry you, and it does a little bit. But I I I have to admit that I I enjoy using it. And again, it's just because I like the productivity of it more than anything yeah, else. But you use it as a tool. And it's 100% a tool. So my question is, as with any tool, there's two main sides of thought. It's a tool. Does it have constraints as a tool? Or as a tool, should it have constraints as a tool? Sure. And I don't know how many constraints it has at this time. I mean, it's, 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 pretty family friendly so you can't get it to you know say some words and and those type of things so there's that part of it and i'm but i'm sure that sometime in the future that filter will come off right uh and and there's other filters that uh you can't do with ai you know security type of things uh all of those things are not possible at this time Thanks for staying with us on the Tech Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. 
So the European Council and the European Parliament have achieved a provisional agreement on the Artificial Intelligence or the AI Act, establishing the world's first set of rules for AI. This was just voted on a couple days ago. The draft regulation aims to guarantee the safety and adherence to fundamental rights and values of the European Union and AI systems deployed within the European market and used across the EU. This milestone proposal signifies or signals a historic achievement and clarifies the responsibilities and roles of various actors in AI development and usage. So what we've been talking about for a while is starting to come true. Now, my question is, this is when you look at AI and you have to look at the global picture of what AI can do and where it fits in. And it's a little concerning to me that they're just addressing the EU side of this. Right. Um, because I don't know how you can do that. It, it, it's the cat's out of the bag. It's, it's global. It's, it's well, everywhere. And, and, and as you know, if, if the EU, EU takes a, a lead in this, usually the U.S. will follow. So that's what I expect. So I'm just going to read this to you. Uh, these are the prohibitions, exceptions, and law enforcement safeguards of the AI Act. Is this their EULA? Sure. It's a little sure. shorter than most EULAs, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it says anywhere that, anywhere that they're going to take your firstborn, but you never know. You never know. It's possible. The, the agreement outlines prohibitions on AI practices deemed too risky, including cognitive behavioral manipulation, which is funny because I feel like all this stuff has already taken place. Yeah. Untargeted scraping of facial images, emotion recognition in workplaces and educational institutions, social scoring, biometric categorism, categorization, and et cetera. Exceptions are outlined for law enforcement purposes, <clears throat> subject to specific safeguards, including emergency procedures for urgent situations. So my first question is, who deems it urgent? Yeah, define those. Yeah, strict criteria are set for real-time remote biometric identification systems and publicly accessible spaces ensuring fundamental rights protection against potential misuse. So it goes to who's who's making the decision. Is it urgent? Is it the emergency? I mean, what you and I, and I, I don't mean to say that these things are any less important than others, but you know, one of my pet peeves lately has been that they dropped the flag for about everything. You know, if there's a shooting here and a shooting there, it just seems like the flag is always at half mass now. And I'm not saying that these aren't tragic things, but there was a time when it meant something when the flag was at half mass. And now I feel like it's, I truly feel it's at half mass more than it's in flying regular. Yeah. You know, so again, and well, I'm just it's, using, got, it's, it's gotten an extra layer of, politicization that's correct correct. well you know this meets my political agenda so let's drop the right half right but this goes back back to to, who's making the decision on what's an emergency and what's urgent right and that's what concerns me about you know things that are very vague in in something like this that it's okay you you can't uh you know as a company or steve bakken can't target uh, uh, the scraping of facial images or emotional recognition uh, in workplaces or whatever. But if a political person or somebody who's a governor or a mayor or whatever, if they have the authority, 
they can just say, well, I want to know what the emotional status is of all the people that are demonstrating at a political rally or whatever, and we can use AI to determine that. Well, okay, so go back to January 6th, of course. Everybody knows about January 6th in the news. So facial recognition going, okay, well, what's the intent of those protesters? What's the intent? Right. Because we're going to read their emotions off of their facial recognition. By the way, it does sound extremely painful to have your facial anything scraped. Um, but you, if you're using that software <laughs> or that technology in that fashion, um, intent, assumptions, things proven guilty before assumed innocent. Right. I, I, where does that end? Where, where, where does that stop? Okay. So the military was in perfect response to come in and shoot everybody because their emotional intent said that this could escalate into what? Yeah. That's exactly right. That's, that's because I have the facial markers, uh, that look like I'm going to eat that Twinkie doesn't mean I'm going to eat the Twinkie. <laughs> And I don't mean to be so, you know, even if kind it's a funny. giant Twinkie. <laughs> but but there there, are, there have been plenty of times that there's been a donut placed in front of me or a bagel, as you know. I have a very big weakness for bagels, and and there are times that I actually say no to it. Not all the time, Steve, but there are times. So how do you? I do how too. Does, my how wife does the AI know my intent and what of what yeah. I'm going to do? Right? It doesn't. But yet they're I mean, going to turn down on this. This seems crazy to me. I've turned down caramel rolls. Doesn't happen often, but I'm like, no, <laughs> could happen. So there's that in there. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, social scoring. Are you familiar with this? Well, and they've been doing this in China for a long. They time. have been, yeah, as, as part of the facial recognition, and it, it's like if you spit your gum out on the sidewalk. Ding, ding, ding. That goes against your social score. And if for people who are, are familiar, aren't familiar with this, it's like a credit score. So they use the social score in a way. So if you go in and this is being very basic, we'll, we'll get into some other stuff in a little bit, but the social score. So you, you, you jaywalk. And of course, you think there are a lot of cameras in the United States. It's like 10x in China. I mean, they know all this stuff and they, and facial recognition has been a big deal for a long time. So they know all these things about their citizens there. So you jaywalk, you go to coffee in the morning and your cars are just right across the place. And I'm picking on myself here because I do this all the time in a downtown shop in, in Bismarck, as you know, because my car is right there. Why would I go to the end of the street, go across and then come back again? And it's because it's eight feet away. So I'll jaywalk. Uh, as an example, this would actually count against me in a social credit scenario, right? Or a social scoring scenario. And if I had enough of those, the next time I go and buy a car, they would say, I'm sorry, Mr. Anderson, uh, you're not allowed to buy a new car anymore. We do have some, we do have some, you know, old cars over here because of your social score. You're allowed to have those. And then when you go out to eat, the same thing would happen. I, I'm sorry, Mr. Anderson, but that's the section over there for you. You can't sit over here or you can't even eat in this restaurant. That's what's going on with this. <laughs> They're going to bring back smoking sections. Great. Yeah, exactly. It's not the smoking section anymore. It's, it's, it's all based social on your social score. score. Yeah. 
But isn't that something? And, and this is actually there feel practice. shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dome You're comes down display. over you. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be crazy. But that is that is what's going on. And artificial intelligence will accelerate that even more because they'll 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 be able to calculate these things even more. And and a lot of it, as I'm thinking about this now, you know, the, they can look at your face. What are you, what are you feeling emotionally, uh, might determine whether or not you're even going to be able to go into that restaurant too. So you have that factor and then your social score isn't so good. And all of a sudden you're not able to have that hamburger or eat that salad or whatever it is because I'm sorry, but that might trigger you to do something if you do that. You might even be blacklisted from the blacklist. Oh my goodness. Crazy stuff. (laughs) So hopefully we're smart enough in our country that we never go down that route. But I have a feeling that that is coming as well. Well, when you start looking at the bigger picture and what takes place on a global level, it's possible. You're listening to Technology Comes Alive. Let's dive back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. And don't forget to check out thetechranch.com for more. So, Mr. Bakken, yes. are, you, are you familiar with IOTs? No. Well, you are. You just don't know that. The Internet of Things. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, and, and You and your acronyms. Well, it's not my acronym. The, uh, uh, the, the easiest way would be like an Alexa. You know, a lot of people have Alexas in their homes now or the Google smart devices. Anything that's connected to the internet is considered an internet of thing that's not like your basic computer. Just so you understand the difference between the two. So your smart bulbs, your furnace, your, your car, your watch, your, uh, Nike sneakers, all of these things that are connected are the Internet of Things. Faucets, you know, you put yeah. in front of you know, smart faucets, things yes. like that, smart hand dryers and all of that, right? And there's obviously a lot of advantage to these things. I, I enjoy the technology myself, uh, but it is, it is growing and it's growing at a tremendous rate. And the reason I'm bringing it up, well, we'll is the convergence of, of artificial intelligence and the Internet of Things, right? And what does this mean moving forward? Uh, how many how many devices do you think we have on the planet right now that are the Internet of Things? Oh, billions. What's the population of the world? Billions. Well, what's, what's like 7 billion, right? 7 billion, yeah. Right. So... Just, I would say 12 billion. Well, that's actually pretty impressive. It's 14.75 billion right now. I mean, when you think about, there's a lot of people that live in, in places that, that third world countries that don't have yeah, the technology. They don't even hardly yeah. have water, much less the internet. Right. So it's really impressive that there are that many, and there are just so many things that are being connected right now. Uh, so that, that's a, Big trend. Do you have something that you use that's an Internet of Thing that you don't think you could live without anymore? Unfortunately, my phone. Um, well, I don't know if that would be considered an Internet of Things. That's that's a smart device that would be you know more like a computer, right? So, programmable thermostat. Okay. I I absolutely love my programmable thermostats. Okay. Um, because I can 
set the different times. I can set the different, you know, because that follows my schedule. I don't have to come home and, okay, click it up a couple notches and wait a half hour for the house to warm up. It's like, no, I, I get home at uh, 5 o'clock or 5.30 and I can have it warm the house up for me before that. And I like it a little cooler when I sleep. So, um, you know, I've got my bedtime programmed in there. So it starts cooling the house down a little bit before I go to bed. Um, you know, I like it warm in the bathroom when I take a shower in the morning. So it'll kick it on a little bit early. And so you really have programmed your thermostat. I do. I, I do. It's, I, that side of the technology, I love that. It, you know, I, we just put a new hot water heater in. I've, I've got the app to control that on my phone. Uh, in our house, we put some mini splits in. I can control those on my phone. Um, so yeah, all, all that connectivity, it's kind of cool stuff. Now, I remember my first, actually my first one was probably my 2016 GMC pickup that okay. I purchased because I could auto start that anywhere. Yes. It was connected. Yeah. 2016. That, that was my first mic. Oh, and, and I, I remember I had the epiphany moment because I was screwing around with my wife because it was, I was on a business trip. It was parked in the driveway and I knew she was going out to her car to go off for her day. So I started the truck when she was out there and freaked her out. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is an internet of things. Yeah. This is part of that. It is part of that. Yeah. Everything's being connected. Uh, so what, what, what does that mean moving forward? You know, you, you start thinking about your clothing being connected. And you, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are, are like, are you serious? Why would I have my clothes connected to the internet? Well, there's a lot of health reasons for that. You know, Dr. Kant, for example, let's say you're having, a, uh, a heart issue that's, that's a little challenging because it, you know, the doctor doesn't see you when you're, you're consuming popcorn or, or watching a movie that's a, a scary movie and your heart rate goes crazy or whatever, right? So now with wearable technologies, and I'm just picking on, on like the watch that I have, but in clothes too, I mean, you can buy sneakers. There's actually vests that you can buy now. And that's why are time, you perspiring incredibly much? All, all oh, wait a minute. This. You're having a heart attack. Yes. And smart shirt could know that. It's a predictive model type of scenario that you have these markers that are going on and then you have the artificial intelligence uh, behind that monitoring that. And all of a sudden it says, Marlo, you know, you you're weeks away from having a heart attack. You need to get to see your doctor now because you're showing all these different markers. Uh, so that's that's the good side of all of this tech, uh, this technology. And the it goes beyond I'm wearing a blue shirt today and I want it to be yellow tomorrow, which that technology is there as well. It is, yes. But you're right. It, there is, there's that too. There's fashion sense that goes in, into this. And yeah, self-coloring, self-colored shirts. Yeah. I don't know how many days in a row I could wear the same shirt though, even though it's different colors. Well, if so you had different events in, in the morning and the afternoon, because okay. I would hope people change their shirt. Oh, well, you know. Maybe that smart shirt has the ability to dispense its own Lumi or Mando and you don't need to wash it as often. There, there's that, and then is it a mood ring as well? Oh, could be. <laughs> I'm happy. Your shirt's so red. Yellow. Run, run. I'm blue, I'm blue, so it's red. Yeah, Steve's angry right now, and his shirt is displaying it. So get out of here. <laughs> Boy, that'd make life awfully simple, though, wouldn't it? 
That would How far st- can I escalate this road rage situation? <laughs> oh, well, his shirt just changed color. I should stop now. <laughs> well, you, you, you know, we're laughing about that, but there are times that that would be actually pretty useful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I think, mean, of, think of it in terms of law enforcement. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. Oh, with if, if you're a police officer and you, okay, domestic disputes, yes. most dangerous scenario for a police officer. Yep. And they walk into a domestic dispute and the shirt goes, yeah, this is escalating. You should probably worry about yep. somebody. Yeah. And for, <laughs> wow, I, that would be game changing. For law enforcement. You know, the other thing along that, you know, we were just talking about the AI accord, uh, in, in Europe and the ability for law enforcement to use artificial intelligence and facial recognition to, to determine the emotional state of a person, right? This is kind of the same scenario, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So are you okay with law enforcement using these tools then? No, I'm not. So where do you draw the because line then? Law enforcement wouldn't be the only one that could use that tool, though. So think of it this way. You walk into a business meeting and you've got this smart, intelligent, interactive shirt. And you're negotiating a $100 billion contract. And there's some gamesmanship that goes into that. Sure. And your adversary in that negotiation across the table knows exactly when you're bluffing, knows exactly how you're feeling, knows your illicit emotional responses when key things are said about a contract. So is this a scenario then where when a $100 billion contract is being negotiated that both sides have to wear the same type of of clothing so you have the same, you know what I mean? (laughs) So who's bluffing, who's not bluffing? Okay. I, I don't right. know. Yeah, I, this is I'm sorry. Things that pop into my head, Marla. You know better than that. It's like in the future, all contract negotiations will yeah. be done in the nude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Level playing field. Oh, we don't want to go there. Oh my goodness, that's funny. Yeah. How come? How come? How come? Marlo Anderson has no response to anything. It's because I'm dreaming about popcorn. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did try uh, some of that popcorn that Chris brought back from Japan. Oh, how with was that, that? Strawberry glaze on it. Yeah. Um. Wow. You and liked I'm, it. I, I'm not sure if I liked it or not, but the flavor and it, it was it was a little like a slap in the face, and it was a little like I'm not sure how to respond to this, but it was very robust. I guess, I guess when you say it that way now, maybe I should have given it another chance because I tried it and I'm like, no, no, I can't do this popcorn. Uh, but maybe I need to go back and try it again because but it was, you had it was really preconceived, a shock. Yeah. You had preconceived constraints. I, I just had to be and, like, and it took you, it took you by surprise, didn't it? Cause it took me by surprise. Like, I thought it would be wow. just kind of lightly flavored. I, I was expecting like a caramel corn type of scenario, yeah. right? Yeah. We, we have a preconceived notion of yes. things and, and, you know, that's cultural. So Absolutely. You know, now apply that to AI. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but, um, and then Chris explained the story to it. And, you know, the next kernel I had, oh, it was different. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say better or worse. I'm just okay. going to say okay. different because I knew the backstory behind it. Right. And then I could 
open my mind up for a different cultural experience. And it was different, but it wasn't that slap in the face anymore. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Now apply that to AI globally across culture. Yeah. Oh, no, no. The, the first one, it would have been an all puckered up. <laughs> bad facial recognition. <laughs> Looked like my face was scraped. That's um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that's the place going back to the AI where AI has some work to do and to catch up because nuance matters to humans. Cues, There's cues no doubt about it. Matter. Yep. And AI's not there yet. Now, I'm almost a little worried that when it gets to the point where it can pick up cues, and this is some of the facial recognition, some of the mood uh, side of it, um, where does it go from there? Is it self-aware? Yeah. Is it, well, there's... You know, there's more pick, and more pick, talk about that all the time. a sci-fi horror movie. Yeah. Yep, with the uh, talk of, of quantum computers more and more all the time yeah. and, and the rise of AI. I mean, you know, all this stuff is, of course, uh, talked about often when it comes quantum to... Quantum AI. That yeah. That is something that... If, we haven't even gotten over the AI yet. No. Or, or emerge immersion into the AI yet. 100% agree with that. But now they're already talking quantum AI? Yeah. yeah. Explain well, that. Something something has to drive all of this, right? I mean, the only way you can keep up with the amount of um, computing technology that's used right now for artificial intelligence is to have quantum, in my opinion. Did you know, um, did we talk about the amount of water that is consumed because of artificial intelligence right now? No, we didn't. I don't remember the exact number. Um, and it's, maybe I'll, I'll look this up maybe during the break. Uh, but there is a significant amount of water. And it, this seems weird, right? Because our AI is not a living thing, right? You wouldn't think it would have to consume water, but it consumes it to cool. Cool and and uh, um, so there's some of these data centers that are being put up uh, to support artificial intelligence. It's like for every six questions, a pint of water is used for oh mine. I well, mean, it, think it's about not that. actually consumed though, because it's just it's, it, it's a heat sink. It's, it's yeah, it's it's going in and then it's recycled or whatever. Yeah, you know, in my opinion, and I'm I'm surprised that this hasn't really come out yet. There's, there's, if it's turning into steam, there would be no reason that you couldn't utilize that for the creation of electricity and use, they could offset the power a little bit by this, the heat that they're creating at the same time, you know. So I don't know, just thinking out loud. And I'm sure that there's been all kinds of talk about, well, in fact, we have some things in North Dakota even, you know, like the, uh, um, and I don't know where that's at up in uh, Newtown with the, um, using the heat to grow vegetables in and that yeah, type the giant of thing. greenhouses and yes. CO two for that matter too. Yes, that's correct. Uh, but yeah, there's there's that going on as well. So yeah, there's all kinds of, of crazy stuff. Uh, so I would say that 2023 so far, of course, AI is a huge deal. But I would say, even though we don't talk about it a lot, the Internet of Things can be as significant 
as what artificial intelligence is. And I think it's the emergence or the convergence, I should say, of those two technologies that really start to ramp things up in a very, very interesting way for humankind. Well, and I'll throw a third one in there, the robotic side of things. So the integration of the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, and robotics, what's that going to look like? Welcome back to the Tech Ranch. We're thrilled to have you with us as we continue exploring living with technology alongside Marlo and Steve. So you brought up robots. What do you, how do you feel about robot pets? Okay, you remember I grew up watching Battlestar Galactica. Yes. So the daggets. There is the there dogs, is new... which they didn't have dogs anymore after the Cylon attack, and right. came up with this artificial robot daggett. It's kind of cool. Well, it's not the same. Guess but what? That's now the same. There's been some foyers into this in the past, and in fact, there was even this like pocket robot or this pocket. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, device that you'd have to, you know, feed the dog. It was almost like a game, right? And it would start to bark if you didn't take it for a walk and all this stuff, you know. Um, so this one is called Luma, L-O-O-M-A. I'll be seeing this in a couple of weeks, actually. And it's very impressive. It's, it's, it's a dog on, um, but on wheels. You so should bring four. one back from CES. I'll try this. to do that. In fact, I might just order one. They're not even that expensive. They're about 450 bucks. I wonder what yeah. Astro would think about it. Well, that's what I was thinking too. I was thinking about putting Luma and Astro together. And See, Astro would have somebody to play with. That'd be right? good. Well, that's that. First of all, would they interact? Well, I think so. That might be interesting. That, that would could be, be fascinating. But for sure, your pet, your dog would interact with it. With it Luma. could walk your dog for you. It could. Yes. So it's, it's really interesting. And uh, I mean, it runs around the house. Uh, like when you open the door and your dog comes to greet you, Luma does too and looks excited and, and actually is able to, uh, move its feet up off the floor and have one on, one in the air and all this other stuff and, uh, and do somersaults and do all of these things. It's just. And no accidents great. in the house. No accidents in the house. Uh, when it's tired, it just goes and nests just like your robotic vacuum cleaner does. You can actually use it as kind of a security scenario. It can roll around your house when you're not there and you can actually on the app uh, look through its eyes and see what's going on and talk. So if you want to keep your dog company, uh, while you're, while you're at work, if you don't want to put another dog in the house or whatever, it's really clever. There are games it can play. You can actually connect it to a tablet, like an Apple iPad, right? And there are games. So you can play games with Luna on this tablet. It's really kind of fun and creative and clever. And, and Can you uh, uh, program it from a security perspective for recognizing certain people? Kind of like the Kingsman and the Golden Circle, the, the two guard dogs that Poppy had that were programmed to Elton John, his friend. I don't know if it has that ability. Okay. Uh, I, I know that Astro does, though. I know Astro is, yeah. yeah but Astro likes I'll, everybody. But it it will know if it's not somebody that's in its programming and, and it can alert you to that or it'll alert you after hours or whatever, of course. So there's that. But yeah, I, I think uh I actually want to play with Luma a little bit. So you never know. I'll see if I can bring one back from CES or we'll order one or whatever and we can do a little review on it. It's pretty cool. And I can see like somebody who maybe who wants a little companionship or whatever too, but that does, doesn't want the extra work of having an actual dog. Um, 
this would be something that I think people would utilize. Okay, so where I'm going with this is you could program it for, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, well, how much access should people have because you can go online and order a, this is my service dog thing. But look at a role of a service dog with the robot. Right. The ability to do tasks or help out um, its master or somebody with a disability or an ailment that you need that companionship. You need a little bit of, hey, Alex, go get me a beer out of the fridge. Things like that. I That service dog or companion dog or therapy dog role, you could program in what you needed. Now, this is coming from a dog lover, and I don't ever want to see this, but I, I could see a role for this from a, a medical or a therapeutic side. Well, and, and the service animal scenario is really interesting. You know, and even and even people who use them, you know, like you said, when they're out and about or whatever, uh, I don't think an airplane would have a problem putting Luna on oh. an airplane. Where they put they it have in standby mode and stick it under the seat. You know? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, so I, I'm I'm on their website right now. Uh, it's, they call it a pet, a robot, a friend. Uh, it runs on ChatGPT, by the way, so you can converse with it and it'll answer questions for you. So you don't um, get that hot, you don't get that head tilt look going from the dog. Where, you do you actually. Just, uh, you said treat. <laughs> you actually do. So some of the voice commands are "Hello Luna," "Follow me," "Kiss Kiss." It'll come up and do kissy kisses Jeez. with you. Uh, B-Box, so it starts to dance and, and, uh, play music. Fire, I don't know what that is. Uh, turn around, uh, it does that. It, it has gesture recognition. So if you wave to it to follow you, it'll just follow you around or, or whatever, right? I'm still uh, thinking of the flamethrower coming out of its mouth. <laughs> like, that's cool. That is cool. Go melt all the ice on my driveway. Fire. Remote assistant, <laughs> uh, experience the convenience of remote interactivity and always stay connected. So from your phone, even when you're away, you can, you can run Luna around. It's self-charging, endless games with Luna app. Whoa, whoa. You can play exciting games with Luna, such as bullfighting, laser light chasing. So it chases a laser light around like oh my a cat God. would. This is a dog, <laughs> not a cat. Come this on. This is a dog. Yeah. Um, ball fetching, hand clapping, etc. So it'll actually fetch a ball as well. Um, yeah, I'm just looking Go back at to the self charging for a second because you said self charging. So it is self charging. Luna can find it, her her charging dock and power is low, so okay, it's like a, a vacuum cleaner. That, you know, that's that my region. question. It just it's like a docking station yes, to go exactly. charge itself. Yes, it just goes to nest by itself. Well, because the reason I was asked is you know with the passive charging. That's out there. It's like, oh, okay, I need to go charge. Can I just go up next to this outlet and oh, I charge up? Yeah, yeah, you, you need know, to have like the dock a, for that to happen. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, okay, cool. talent show is another one that it does. Oh, they got a video of it chasing a laser around. That's hilarious. Absolutely <laughs> hilarious. So it is chat GPT integrated and it's showing uh, you can ask ask her any questions and it says why can't you give Elsa a balloon uh, and it answers because she will let it go I, okay uh, Luna teach me how to speak Japanese repeat after me so it'll actually it, it's it's a learning tool as well it's really kind of cool L-O-O-N-A 
you know, I say every kid should have a dog, but wow, maybe they shouldn't. I mean, from if an you educational could, standpoint, if you could have it, I, I'm just thinking about myself too. I mean, my goodness, uh, I could learn Spanish with Luna. Wouldn't that be fun, right? You know, I one of the things I love to do with my dogs is road trip. You know, we spend a lot of time in the vehicle together. Yes. Now I could learn a language while not ever going to replace my dogs, but that'd be kind of cool. I think so too. I think so too. So, I so mean, if you sounds... have Luna in in your strapped into your passenger seat, can you ride in the hub lane? <laughs> Especially if it answers that. question. It's a good question. It's a fair question. That's funny. Yeah. So I I don't know. I I I kind of like I like Luna. And if I were and I'm putting together a list of my top ten gifts for Christmas, I'm a little bit late this year. I'm getting that together. But Luna is on that list now for four hundred and twenty four dollars. I know it's a little maybe more expensive than what most people would buy. But if you're going to, you know, a lot of people will buy an Xbox or whatever for their kids anyway. Uh, Luna is an educational toy that, that is also entertaining. And, you know, you can take Luna for a walk if you want to. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. This is Outdoor Issues with Mia Roberts and North Dakota Game and Fish Outreach Biologist Greg Gullickson. Christmas is upon us. Greg, what a year. Great weather, fishing, hunting numbers. We're truly blessed in North Dakota, aren't we? Absolutely. You know, we started the year off with quite a bit of snow, thick ice. Ice fishing was a little bit tough, a little bit hard on our deer population. I was amazed how those pheasants pulled through. And coming into spring, when those ducks migrated back through, we look at all the snow and ice when that waterfall came back. Boy, the waterfall number is really good. The summer fishing was excellent. And even getting into the first part of the archery season and upland game, you know, starting with grouse and pheasants. And even our deer season was a really good season. Even though numbers were down as far as tags issued for that deer gun, it was still a good season. The more sunrises and sunsets that I see, the better the year is. Absolutely. Hey, we'll have more blessings when we come back. It's the Rough Rider Poker Tour Casino State Championship from Spirit Lake Casino and Resort. $220 unlimited buy-ins and re-entry through the first nine levels in each of the four flights. It all happens December 29th and 30th for the qualifying rounds, and the champion will be crowned on December 31st. $150,000 estimated prize pool. All four flights will be live-streamed on Facebook and YouTube. And get this, a $10,700 WSOP main event CPAC Package awarded to the winner on top of the first place prize. It's the Rough Rider Poker Tour State Championship. Today's a great time to step out and enjoy some fresh-made, authentic Mexican food from Mi Mexico. Lunches start at just $5.99. Daily specials Monday through Thursday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Mi Mexico serves meals for everyone at reasonable prices. Delicious Mexican dishes made from family recipes. Hot and fresh, served by very friendly people. Even a menu for the kids. Order delivery from the full menu using Grubhub or Bite Squad. Or order for pickup through Chow 
Tijuana. Me Mexico in their beautiful new location, not too far from their old location. 3816 South Broadway across from Super Walmart. Olay! Talking North Dakota outdoors and the holiday season. And Greg, any accident's too much, any drowning is too much. But I know you preach that a lot on our show. But all in all, 2023, statistically, it's been a pretty safe year, right? Hats off. One of the main things for me is those life jackets. I shouldn't just say in the summertime, the spring and the fall. Even if it's July and 104 out, they make life jackets so much comfortable. And hats off to our hunters that wear the orange out there. It was just a really safe year in the outdoors. So hats off to all the outdoor enthusiasts that kept the North Dakota outdoors safe. And here, here, and kudos to, I know, our friends and relatives and people that we associate with this stuff to being safe when they're in our company as well. Good stuff, Greg. Hey, that'll put a wrap on this report. Until next time, I'm Neil Roberts. You've been listening to Outdoor Issues, brought to you in part by the Rough Rider Poker Tour Casino State Championship, by Me Mexico in Minot, and by Bones Barbecue and Smokehouse in Minot, now catering. Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. ABC News, I'm Mike Dubusky. Two former paramedics have been found guilty of criminally negligent homicide in the 2019 death of Elijah McClain. They were accused of administering an excessive amount of ketamine to sedate McClain after an encounter with police. The United Nations Security Council has passed a resolution calling for expanded humanitarian access throughout Gaza, but it stopped short of calling for a ceasefire. ABC foreign correspondent Britt Klenet. With intense close combat still raging inside Gaza, a grim new milestone. More than 20,000 people have been killed since the start of the war, according to the Hamas-run health ministry. Gaza plunged into humanitarian crisis. The UN Security Council adopting a resolution to expand air deliveries to civilians there. The US abstaining in the final vote after vetoing a version of the resolution that called for an immediate ceasefire. Russia also abstained from that vote. This is ABC News. They may be rare, but rogue waves do happen from time to time. One sparked panic on a cruise ship full of tourists off Norway's coast. They were supposed to return to Tilbury, England, but instead had to be detoured. ABC's Marcus Moore reports from London with the latest. The ship named MS Maud, bound for England, setting off from Norway, sailing into the North Sea when a violent storm sent strong winds and massive waves into the ship. Windows on the bridge shattered, the vessel losing power and its navigation systems. Passengers wearing life vests huddled together. Remarkably, no passengers or crew were hurt. The ship, now with only one working engine, is stabilized and being towed to Germany. The 
cruise line is now making arrangements for the passengers to return to England by other means. Chinese state media is reporting that electric car maker Tesla is now one step closer to building a battery factory there. The two parties signing a land acquisition deal for a new production facility in Shanghai. Construction is scheduled to start early next year. I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. The Holiday Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. Partly cloudy today. We'll get to around 41 for a high this afternoon. The wind out of the southeast at 5 to 15. Tonight, cloudy. Some snow after midnight. Our low down to 26 tomorrow. Some light snow in the morning. Then mostly cloudy and breezy all day with a high of 33. Are you looking for a great place to live, stay, shop, and play? It's easy to get to Worthington, Minnesota. You should check out Worthington. It's worth a look. I'm meteorologist Sean Cable. Right now, it's 39. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. A Shiro's day is never done. So let's start saving a little more now. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings. Visit aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Program schedule, updated local news, sports, contests, and more. Visit today at supertalk1270.com. Portions of the following program are pre-recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. So, to me, there's no doubt that that $424 for a Luna is actually a pretty good deal. That's reasonable. I think so, too. I think so, too. And, it's, again, it's on, my, it's on my list of things to get for a gift. You can go to Luna, L-O-O-N-A. I think it's Luna.com. Uh, but it might not be. I mean, just but look up Luna and Google or whatever. L-O-O-N-A and check this thing out. If nothing else, just watch the videos because it's just really cool. Well, if you figure people pay $5,000 for a doodle. That's, that's true. A bargain. That's yes. a bargain. Absolutely. It is. I don't have to feed it. No vet bills. Doesn't poop in the house. <laughs> There's all of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we, I, I got, we got a little sidetracked with Luna because we were going into robots. Um, how many humanoid robots do you think there are available right now? Oh, let's see. I'm trying to remember our guests. That was like the four-footer one. Should be your cameraman for CES. <laughs> um, reminder. Um, probably seven or eight. Twenty-three. Twenty-three, okay. And some of them are... That are out for commercial consumption. Yes. Okay. Some of them are freakishly human. So much so that you can have conversations with them. And they move like a human. And Tesla's new robot, uh, which was just released this week, the Optimus Gen 2 humanoid robot is 
pretty crazy. And and let's see, I'm just reading. Through. Well, that's better than the pessimist robot. Uh, the pessimist <laughs> robot. <laughs> I'd much rather have the optimist robot. Glass half full, there, buddy. <laughs> I I think somebody should come out with a pessimist robot, and it would be he could have the optimist versus the pessimist. <laughs> uh, what was that comedian? That is, and everything was monotone. It was. Like, that is so funny. And everything was kind of Debbie Downer-ish. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's your that robot. There, you're going to pay for that. That is fantastic. Yeah, I'm catching up here with uh, the new launch. And, of course, and, uh, and it's 22 human ro- humanoid robots. Sorry, it was This will be 23. Instead of 23, yes. So the Tesla Optimus is, is uh, Optimus is one that's, probably the most popular of, of them. Uh, but here are a few that have escaped research and development in the last few years and in the real world as bartenders, concierges, deep sea divers, and as companions for older adults. Some work in warehouses and factories, assisting humans in logistics and manufacturing, and others seem to offer more novelty and awe than anything else, conducting orchestras and greeting guests at conferences. So those are a few of the spaces but the humanoid robot market in 2023 valued at 1.8 billion. With and a limited course, number of supply. It's, yeah, and market is predicted to increase to more than 13 billion over the next five years. Well, that was my question. It's like, what's the growth curve on that? That's exponential. Exponential. Well, um, it's going to be, oh, and Elon Musk told an audience attending AI Day in 2021. <laughs> There's my little plug in the in the world of AI even. In 2021? Uh, yeah, but he was just talking. I was just throwing the AI Day out there, you know, that even National Day calendar is involved in all this stuff somehow or another. But, yeah, I, I see... And I think this is, you know, we're going to have the convergence of artificial intelligence, obviously, and and robots it's i mean it's already happening that's this is why they're able to talk to us and do all these other things right but i, I see this as a little bigger deal here i mean what's the price point and I'm, I'm curious for you steve what is the price point to you for if you were to buy a robot that would mow the yard shovel the snow other than the yarble cook your cook Darn. your food <laughs> Do your, you know, do your laundry, clean your house. Would you spend $25,000 on that for an easy payment plan of $199 a month? I'm just throwing that out to see if, 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 or is it, is it $10,000 before you would invest in this? Well, first of all, I'd have to go, okay, honey, what, what would you like? Cause if my wife would want it, and then I'd have this fear that, wow, I'm being replaced. Uh, because <laughs> I do all the cooking and the cleaning and the so I don't know I it depends on what your time's and it depends on what you need it for um somebody that hires a a cleaning service to come in twice a week is that a a good offset could that be accomplished through robotics cuz I'm thinking the workforce stuff here so I for me it would be What's the the ROI? What's the return on the investment? What's the value I'm getting back? Is it freeing right. up time for other things? You know, I throw a load of laundry and I go to work. Um, it, no big deal. Um, 
Would it be nice to have it folded when I come home? Sure. But if that's all it's doing, it's hard to argue with that. Coming home and having dinner ready because it could cook, I probably a little bit more value there. I agree. I agree. And I think about uh, um, companionship. I, I think about our senior citizens, first of all, here. I mean, if they had a, how many people would improve their quality of life later in their life if they could stay home longer? And I think a robot would really enhance that. Well, and that's where the whole healthcare industry is going, is how do you keep people in their homes longer? Because as we're getting an aging population, it's about that quality of life longer. And you get a much higher quality of life if you're able to stay in your own home than having to go to an assisted living facility. Um, better outcomes. So if a robot provides that extra layer of protection, that extra layer of care, that extra layer of doing the light household duties that somebody may not be able to do anymore, uh, that would precipitate having to go into an assisted living facility, then yeah. I mean, think of the cost, $25,000 to stay in your home or way more than that to go into assisted living. Right. And it is way more more than that. Yeah. And and so value, there's a lot of value there. So I feel like, uh, um, and, and they're, they're working towards this, Steve. That's the thing is that, you know, 25 grand for a robot is, is a realistic number. And I don't know, you know, I would imagine that they will nest as well. Maybe they do find an outlet like you're talking about. They just plug into the outlet. I don't know. Uh, we've seen enough sci-fi movies that do that, right? <laughs> so they all have curly hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do they lick their fingers before they stick them in the socket? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, well, they come out with, uh, with cool things, you know, like, I, I know you've seen Astro in our office, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's got a cute little bow tie on and he's got baby Yoda rolling around with them and all this stuff. I mean, will people dress these things up? I mean, well, if, if you're, if you're, uh, if your service is a butler, I mean, will you dress it up in, in a three piece suit and, and, uh, uh have him answer <laughs> the door or, or if his primary purpose, if the robot's primary purpose is cooking, I mean, is there a chef hat and an apron in, in, in the future of this robot? I don't know. You tell me. Those are constraints to fit a certain specific role. I, but when you start talking about the expanse of this technology, I, I, I think we have to pull the constraints off. It's, you know, are you going to pigeonhole something into it? So, okay, you're kind of my butler, so you're going to wear a little tuxedo. Um, or, you know what? Are you that home aid device that, oh, by the way, the lawn needs mowing or the trees need trimming or that hedge needs to, or go pick some, well, okay, you're not wearing a butler suit for that. Um, so I, I, I think you need to pull some of the constraints off of, of you know, hey, we're going to dress up this robot into this because this is what it's going to do. Yeah, but it's going to do so much more. So what things would you like to see a robot do for you? Uh, mow the lawn, trim trees, take out garbage, walk the dogs. Although I should probably walk the dogs more. Uh, quality body type of the dogs. So scratch that one. Um, pick up dog poop around the yard. Um uh, Household chores, I fold the laundry, put it away, maybe wash the laundry, do the dishes. I don't know if I trusted cooking yet. 
I don't trust my so, wife cooking yet. <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's a level of trust here too, right? Yeah, there's a level of trust here involved. It's like, okay, do I would I trust the robot to cook without burning down the house? But once you get past that and it makes the best pot roast you've ever had in your entire life, then you're like, hmm, okay, yeah, you can cook from now on, you know. Type well, and, and for me, it would be okay. I get home, and by the time my wife and I, she wants to eat. And it's later. And I don't like eating at 7 o'clock at night. But if that robot could start dinner at 3 o'clock and dinner was ready when you walked in the door at 5.05 and you could eat that and then get on to some <laughs> other things. And then, oh, by the way, the, the robot's going to clean up the dishes and the mess. And, oh, by the way, we just ate at home at a five-star restaurant because that recipe was impeccable. Yeah, I mean, you think yeah. about the the food say or the yeah food savings alone. If you're going to have amazing food at home, you might not go out to eat as much anymore. Portion control, no leftovers. What do you want to program it for? It's pretty amazing. My wife and I, compl- she complains about leftovers all because I don't know how to cook for two people. I cook for she cook for a eight. Lot. Yeah, yeah, and, and then she's like, "You don't help me eat leftovers." Okay, well, the robot could for two people. A report that and, came out hey, April 21st, 2022 said that robots uh, and automation would displace 85 million jobs in, in globally in the coming five years, but it's predicted that they would create 97 million new jobs. Just throwing that out there too. So it's almost like AI where, you know, everybody's concerned about that they're going to lose jobs over this. It's not really that they might be displaced. It's not that we're we're... We're actually we're actually creating more jobs because of these technologies. Just a shift west. in it's just a shift in, in how things workforce. are going to be done. Yeah. Yep. Hey, I'm on a diet, so cook this and You're all excited about this now, aren't you? Yeah, I actually I am. A little you bit. The dogs too, by the way. Well yeah. Imagine the food it could cook for your dogs. I could sleep in an extra half hour in the morning. And we're back with the Tech Ranch, getting ready for more amazing tech insights from the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. Well, there are some other technologies that really took off in 2023, uh, and you have to put in augmented reality and virtual reality into this mix. You don't hear a lot about it because everything newsworthy just seems to get sucked up by artificial intelligence, you know, but there have been significant uh movement in augmented reality and possibly because of of um, artificial intelligence. Well, you but and I were talking about augmented and virtual reality quite a bit, and then all of a sudden, boom, this chat GPT thing blew up, and then artificial intelligence, it, it just sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Truly did, truly did. And, you know, I, I like to, you know, always explain things, of course, and, and if you're not familiar with these terms, we'll just, we'll just, uh, bring you up to date on those. So augmented reality is just that. Similar, it would be like, um, if you've ever seen Pokemon or something like that, where you hold your screen up on your device and then it gets augmented. So if you see a menu, you know, a lot of people use their phones for, you know, looking at a menu. Maybe you would see, the pot roast that we were just talking about appear in your screen because you're holding it over the pot roast that's on the menu at that time. I've whatever. seen this with wine bottles. Like yes, I, that's correct. The, the 19 crimes are right? 19 crimes, wine. Yeah. Yep. yeah, you pull up the the augmented reality on the wine bottle and it's got the whole story, a little video clip, and it's like, whoa. Yep. That was kind of cool. 
And of course, virtual reality is where you actually have the, the Oculus on your face or whatever, whatever brand you're using and you're immersed 100% in this alternate reality. And that space, um, I don't know if I would say it exploded in 2023, but it's come a long way. Some people have moved away from it a little bit because I think the shiny new object is artificial intelligence. So a lot of, again, a lot of energy has been put over that way. Uh, but there are more and more, you know, you can buy real estate, for example, in, in, in virtual reality. They have the whole planets for sale there. Walk through a house. Yeah. Yeah. I, all of well, that. Well, one of the places I've seen it really work well, um, trade shows. So you'll have uh, a, a trade show and they're trying to, you know, recruit people and you want to know what your, your workday looks like or what the job function is and you can immerse yourself. And I've seen a lot of this on the educational side, trying to get uh, kids into different career paths and you throw the glasses on and you know what that job's going to do. And you know what your day is going to look like. And ah, is that something I want to go get an education for or training for? And I, I've seen that. And it's like the kids connect to that a lot. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. But And, and, and I like it. I like VR. I've, I, I have a set of Oculus at home and, and I, I put them on occasionally, probably not as much as I should. But I truly believe that augmented reality is the big play here. You know, it's, it's, it's real world, uh, at least right now. I'm, 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 I've been wrong most of the time in my life, so I'm probably wrong with this too, but, but I love augmented reality for the possibilities. You know, you think about, we'll just go back to cooking for a second, right? You could, you could prop your phone up or stand your phone up next to where you're working in the kitchen to make a cake, for example. And then you add a particular recipe or a particular ingredient in, in the recipe to make the cake. And then uh, a, a whipping utensil uh, shows up on the screen. This is what you need next to whip the batter, right? So you start whipping it, and then you stop, and then it'll say, I'm I'm sorry, you know, Mr. Bakken. Uh, the consistency of the cake batter uh, isn't like it should be. It knows these things. You should whip it for a little longer or whatever. Now it's time to add the eggs and all this other stuff. You know, Or if you're working on your car, you can have it propped up there, and it'll show you how to take apart a transmission or fix your Maytag uh, washer at two o'clock in the morning. These are, these are things that are possible with augmented reality that, that um, I think are really beneficial moving forward. Who's going to win on this one? I think is who gets down to the, because a part of the problem with the, with the virtual reality glasses, the goggles is they're not just simple glasses. Yes. When you, when you can just pop on, a pair of glasses like you're putting on a pair of sunglasses or your reading glasses. And that's the vehicle by which you can either have the augmented reality or the virtual reality. That's where it's going to make a difference. That's where it's going to go. Okay, we're back and now it's easy operation and then it's going to take off. And, and, uh, for augmented reality, that is already a a reality. You can put the glasses on and, and it actually pairs to your, to your smart device. And you can, uh, for example, I'll just pick on an integration into social media and augmented reality. So I could be walking down uh, a street and I look into a coffee shop 
And in my glasses, it'll show what the special is for the day. Okay. And then it'll show, hey, Steve Bakken is in there as well. And I'm like, oh, okay. I can have coffee. I'm going to the next coffee shop. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you will never have any privacy moving forward. But these are the things that are possible with glasses already. And I know that, uh, like people who fly drones or whatever, uh, obviously are, are using these technologies. And that's probably where you see in real world experience, uh, where you see virtual reality really take place because they're able to fly drones, you know, in their virtual reality world, you know, and I suppose I would say that's more augmented reality using that technology because you are seeing real world telemetry. When you're flying a drone, it's not like you're in a virtual existence in there. Well, I know in the military application, it's a combination of the two. It is, yeah. So, you know, maybe some sort of a hybrid is is what that's going to wind up morphing into. Yeah. I still keep thinking about the the sunglasses. Remember the movie Them? Roddy Piper? Yes. Wrestler? Yeah. (laughs) We can tell all the aliens through our augmented reality glasses. Yeah. I need to watch that. Wasn't Charlie Sheen in that one too? Or am I thinking of a different one? It's been so long since I've seen I'm thinking of a different movie, I think. Uh, but it had the same, it was, I think Roddy was the only name in that one. It was, it was, it was pretty B, B movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Even the one I'm thinking of was pretty B, but yeah. So I, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, certainly going to be a big deal. Moving forward. The other thing that's interesting is that you didn't hear much about blockchain in 2023. No. And crypto outside of the fact that, you know, it went down a little bit, went up a little bit. And it seems, it seems like in 2022, all you ever heard about was cryptocurrency when it came to tech news. And it's like, it's like it just died. Where'd it go? Say that again. It's still there. I mean, the last the last thing I've heard about cryptocurrency is like, oh my gosh, the bottom's falling out. It's yes, it's going down and crashing, and and it's very low. It, but I'm I wonder though, is from a technology perspective, because I, I I have this, I, I seriously think there's a push going towards digital currency. There's that's what's going on globally. There's no doubt but, about that. But from a crypto perspective, is it just an oversaturation of the market with what the market is out there right now? Well, I think Are anybody... too many? I, I, I will agree with that. Uh, I think anybody... A lot of people got on the bandwagon of making cryptocurrencies. And, you know, there's going to have to be a little... And, and probably is a little bit of a shakeout going on right now. And some of those are going to go away. You know, things like Ethereum and Bitcoin are going to be around for a while, of course. So there's going to be a big fight, a pushback and forth. Is it some are going to go away or is there going to be a a consolidation or um, buying up one currency for the sake of another? That's kind of where I'm curious where it's going to go. That's interesting. I I guess I never really thought about the convergence of cryptos. You've returned. Technology is our passion. Let's jump back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. So next up, not that you don't love all these other topics we've been talking about, but I know you especially love 3D printing. Yes, I do. <laughs> have you been? Have you seen these name plates I've been making? I I have. They, they're pretty cool, aren't they? They are. I, I yeah. actually, I would love to tour a 3D printed house. 
someday. Well, that's kind of what we're going to get into here. Uh, is that ability. So what do you, what do you know personally about 3D printed houses? Uh, pretty cost effective to make. You just put the concrete in, the 3D printer takes care of it, builds the walls, the floor, the ceilings, the, you know, you carve out the spots for the, you know, the, the printer does that for, uh, the infrastructure. So the piping and things like that, um, you know, the, the conduits. Um, pretty simple, pretty quick, pretty basic. Or it can be as complex as you want to. Right. I mean, if you, if you wanted to build a home that looks like, um, you know, a small Pentagon or you wanted to have uh, a shooting star off the top of it or whatever, I'm really making stuff up here now. Uh, you wanted your house to look like a lampshade. I'm looking at a lampshade right now. I mean, all these things are possible because if you can if you can design it on a computer screen, you can print it. You just watched Christmas Story again, didn't you? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of lampshades, <laughs> that's funny. That's the house you want to live in, Marlo. Okay. But you could do that, right? You could. And and the advances that have happened in the last year are remarkable. The the first few homes that have been printed are, you know, they, the concrete goes around and it goes, you know, like it's it's actually just called adaptive printing. So it just layers, it's just a layer on top of a layer on top of a layer, right? And then now they're, 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 uh, they're putting rebar down through these, you know, in specific spots. They, they've really perfected this process but it would always be kind of these rounded kind of you could see the layers right kind of like tree rings in a way you could see where the next layer went down just like a tree ring would be when you cut a tree open uh now the latest one that i've seen actually has this smoother that goes along as well so it smooths the concrete as it's going along and it's hard to tell uh the layers now even so really? it, it comes it comes across more like a like a drive it or a plaster or whatever on the outside of the home. Not that the other stuff looked uh, bad either. I thought it looked kind of cool in space age, but if you want those smoother walls now, you can do that too. Uh, it's really remarkable. And basically it's about half the cost of a stick built home. That's the uh, amazing thing about these and built in a fraction of the time. So when you're looking at the, where that's going because you and I have been talking for a while about 3D printed homes and um you mentioned the, the next iteration thereof where's it I mean I, I could see 3D printed high rises skyscraping <laughs> the ability to to go vertical with a 3D printed home office building structure I, I think that's and we haven't seen any of that yet but i think that's going to be a big leap we, we, we haven't seen a lot of that yet um but i agree with you i think that there's going to be more and more of that where i really what i really see in the immediate future are like sheds i and if i was a and and we have some of these businesses, um, even in Mandan that that build like yard sheds on at their 
at their production facility and then they bring it out to you and set it up, right? Why would you not just do these with 3D printers? You know, instead, I mean, you could step up your production. You could probably drop your cost down a little bit. So instead of charging, you know, $10,000, maybe you can charge six and even make more money on the $6,000 sale than you would on the $10,000 sale and produce many more of them with the same crew that you have. Uh, I'm just throwing that out there as an idea. And then people could, you could, instead of having, being locked into three or four different designs, you could have a whole library of designs that people could pick from and, and then you could show up next week and pick it up. I think that'd be kind of cool or have it delivered. Yeah, just a different medium. Instead of concrete, you're using a injected plastic. So kind of like roto-molded stuff now. There's just all kinds of possibilities with this stuff. So I think Are there constraints of, of materials, though? That's the other question I've got because concrete, plastics, what other materials are out there that you could utilize for that? Well, I would imagine as we move forward, there will, there will be other things that will come up. And Glass. Of course, uh, moving to the moon and to Mars, uh, 3D printers will be utilized extensively for building on, on the moon and Mars. And they'll utilize the materials that are there that they can mix up and then put to, through a 3D printer and, and, and build buildings. Cause right now the biggest constraint on the 3D printed stuff is you have to have some sort of a, a liquid or soft medium that you're extruding to create that that item yes yeah like a concrete right and it dries and then you have what you have uh but there's other there's other builders out there too have you have you seen the uh um the brick layer i have not this is so cool it's a machine that builds brick buildings i love brick buildings i do too and and I mean, when I say it's a machine that builds brick buildings, it builds brick buildings. I mean, it, it, it outworks anything. In fact, they have a hard time keeping the bricks in the machine fast enough. That's how fast it puts it down because wow. somebody has to load the bricks into this machine, but it just, you know, one after the other after the other. It's very impressive. And, and I, and again, it's just a, maybe you don't want a 3D printed home. Maybe a brick home was more your order or an office or whatever. And this is another machine now that can really, accelerate the process of getting something built and drive that cost down a little bit because obviously we have to offset. I mean, if you're building right now, uh, the only way you can really offset the higher interest rates is by building cheaper. And, and, uh, and that's difficult to do right now because of all the inflation that's gone on and everything else. So these technologies, uh, will really help with that. And I just want to throw this out there because this is something everybody can understand. There was a time that you, when you bought a 65 inch television, it cost 10 or $20,000. And again, I just bought one for $238. And it's because of technology that that happens. You know, they get, they get better at building these things. And I think this type of thinking is now coming to construction, to the building of homes and offices and, and whatever. It's, there are all these different scenarios that are starting to happen around these machines that are being built. And artificial intelligence and, and computing and all this stuff is emerging to create better ways to to build buildings, which will drive the cost of building down. Fascinating stuff. Absolutely fascinating. My only concern is that that 
at the age that you and I are at, what does that do to the housing value that we have on our home if we're using it as retirement or whatever, right? Well, yeah, uh, there's going to be a sweet spot and there's going to be a, a a painful spot. Exactly. Hopefully we won't see the painful spot. Exactly. <laughs> you and I are going to have to sell and move to Florida before all this happens, right? Yeah, with with our robot. <laughs> Luna. Luna. Luna will be lighting the way for us. I wonder I wonder if Luna's eyes light up. Because that would be a feature as well. You can see. Only when she sees you, Marlo. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you program her to. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but that'd be cool to have Luna, you know, light the, light the way when you're out walking your dog or whatever too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or little flashlight thingy going on so you can see where to pick up the dog poop when you're walking your dog. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You're always fascinated on that. I, I don't well, know Well, because why. I well, It's a big deal I in walk, your world, isn't it? I walk our dogs a lot. And if it's dark, it's like, okay, no, hold it just a second further. Got to get over the streetlight. It's, <laughs> it's easier to pick up the dog poop that way. Right, right. There's a method to my madness. Well, there's a method to most people's madness. Just saying. Mm-hmm. All right. Um... Wireless TVs take cord cutting to the extreme. This is a, I'm just reading this headline right now. It sounds like CES pitch and it's very much. Well, go ahead. So I, I just had a, doing an dish on the house and um, down in one part of the house, I wanted to connect potentially two TVs and I got looking and cause HDMI, run an HDMI cord and then plug the two TVs in together. And that's right. the best way to, and I'm like, wait a minute. They have this Wi-Fi HDMI now, so you can connect two TVs without the cord. Right. And the question I had was, okay, is there a little delay from one to the other? And everything I read was, no, you can just connect the two TVs or three or four um, through your HDMI input, and it's in perfect real time. Now, I ran the cord anyway just because, because, uh, <laughs> but, but that new technology is there. It, it's there. It's cool that, uh, and I, I don't know, I, I always will go with wired over wireless, of course. Uh, there's just one less thing that can go wrong, uh, generally speaking, but wireless technology is cool. I, I, I will give it that and, and, and the ability to just hang a television without having any cables coming off of it as at all, you know. So we have that right now because uh, I switched our, so my cable provider, um, they have their own, it, it's Midco and they went to Midco TV and Midco TV has that ability. Right. I'm like, wait a minute. Why did I just run? So I, I actually ran. Um, while doing some remodeling, I ran a, a bunch of HDMI throughout the house and to where I could access, uh, different rooms with the, the building project. And that's all you need. And, and if you, and, and that's only if you want to get rid of the extenders from that you just plug into the outlet in the wall, um, the extenders for your Wi-Fi is cause way better way to go, but you can get rid of, I don't need a cable box anymore. I don't need that hooked up to the to a cord that runs through the wall. I, I 
I can put that TV anywhere. I don't have to hang a, a, a TV stand on this wall because, you know, if we move the furniture around, I'm going to move it over there. Um, you don't need to be tied to that little jack that comes out of the wall anymore. It is quite impressive. The only, the only thing left is wireless electricity, right? Right, which is getting there. And it's I would say availability. that television will be the next great thing for wireless electricity because that ability to just hang a TV and have it just work. You know, because the only distracting thing to me always is, you know, and, and I have a couple of these in my house yet because I haven't wired my house appropriately for hanging televisions. You know, we run the electricity inside the wall so you can plug the TV in behind uh, the television. That is such a clean look all the time. I think I just mm-hmm. love how that looks. Um, but there will be a time in the very near future where, where wireless electricity will become more and more mainstream, just like you charge your phone on a on a wireless charger right now or, or your watch or whatever. That'll become more and more mainstream, just like charging your car if you got an EV. So just from a television perspective, I think the next place we go with this is um, you don't hang a TV on a wall, but maybe you've got it on a piece of furniture. Like it, you got a TV in the bedroom, it's on top of a dresser. Um, so is there a, going to be a larger pad that when you set the TV down there, the TV's charging or getting its from that pad. You plug pad in, and I think that's going to be the next step. You know what a a charging pad looks like. I think that's going to be the next step before we get to the complete just wireless. There's there's it's through the air and it's directed at a device. So I, I think there's a, a step or two still along the way. Sure, but. I, I could easily see, okay, I put this pad down on top of the dresser and now my TV is going to run whenever I want it to run because it's charging constantly through the foot pegs or, or whatever that looks like. So are there places that, uh, uh, that you can integrate a television into something yet that you think would be useful? You know, for example, a lot of refrigerators now have TVs into them. Is there other pieces of furniture or things that you could see that would be useful to have TV screens put into them? Oh, I'd love one of my massage chair. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> but the connectivity from just being able to have my phone or my tablet and kind of a Bluetooth or a Wi-Fi and do everything off of that would be great. Welcome back to the Tech Ranch. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. Well, Steve, I'm getting ready to go to my next big conference, and I know you know what that is. Your virtual bags are packed? (laughs) They are. Did did you pack (laughs) with your VR glasses or... I'm trying to trying to go a little lighter this year. Like, I hope. I how do I look in this outfit? Well, your virtual reality glasses could show you that, right? <laughs> that's true. Perfect. That's true. Hey, that's look slimming. I'm going to wear that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I could use that a lot. So yeah, CES right around the corner. Yeah, isn't that something? I, super I cannot electronic believe show. You know, last year AI was was a big topic already. You know, it, it had just. ChatGTB had just become public like a week or two before, but I can't imagine what one year will have done there. This it's going to be everywhere. Well, last week we we featured uh, some of the things that you had talked. I, I think we went back to 2019 and some of the interviews you had done from CES, and uh, you know one of the uh, products that was 
featured then is actually a big product now. And um, that was the um, basically the Keurig for mix, mixing drinks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Custom cocktails at home. I'm like, yes. so that goes from 2019 to it's a thing in 2023. That's what's cool about CES is that you'll see emerging technology. A lot of it doesn't make it. They actually have a segment this year on, and maybe we talked about this last week, right? I remember talking to somebody about this anyway, where the, it's like the tech fails. Yeah, like the people, Hall of Shame. The Hall of Shame, there we go, yeah. That'll be fun to actually see, and you're right, I think I've interviewed most of those people over the <laughs> years. But well, we discussed that a little bit, well. too. Yeah, uh, there, There's some different components to CES. You've got those with this idea that show up, and they're pitching funding and technology to try to get that idea off the ground. And then they've got something where there may be a prototype or they've gone down the road a little bit, but now they need some help to get it going. Yep. And then there's some just can't miss. This is it real boom. And those are kind of the, the highlight of the consumer electronics show. And these are, these are things that you are going to see in the marketplace. So what things do you expect to see this year? At, at Yarbo. Well, okay. <laughs> Somehow or another, I need to get you to see yes one of these years. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. Yarbo. I, I, I want to go see Yarbo. Well, you uh, know, I you're have, actually going to be at their booth. I will be at their booth. Yeah, I have a personal invite, as you know. So Yarbo will be fun, and hopefully I'll drag a unit home for you so you can have one to play with. Although I'm not yeah, sure how much that. snow you're going to be able to move with it this year at the rate that we're going. But I, uh, I'm good with that. Yeah, I think most people are. I can blow the leaves in the neighbor's yard, take out the dog. Anybody in your neighborhood mole lately? Uh, no, it's been a couple of weeks okay. since this last little dusting. So. Okay. Is there still snow on the ground, by the way? Yeah. Oh, okay. A lot I of figured places. by now it melted away already. Well, if you ever came home and stopped being a world <laughs> traveler long enough, you might know we had a little dusting of snow again. It's like. That is true. Um, you know, I have to, so, you know, in recap of the the last week, too, I spent a few days in L.A. and the traffic there, I just, again, I I didn't grow up in a big area, of course, like most people back from where you and I are from. I, I, it would drive me crazy. But I have to say that, like, Google Maps, it, it's truly amazing how that has become such a, a a way to get around in these areas, right? Because it makes decisions for you. Sometimes maybe not the best decisions, but most of the time pretty good. You know, there's a traffic scenario in front of you and it starts to reroute you around it. And I can't tell you how many hours that probably saved me over the course of a couple of days in LA because traffic was at a standstill most of the time when I was trying to get around. You know, how often do you use that feature, though? Because you, you do have to be a little interactive and program in some of the, the prompts, some of the things you want in there. And it, it's a little easier on a vehicle um, if you pay for the navigational piece on a vehicle. Uh, but if you're just using the Google map on your phone, you can go and put in some different things. It's like, okay, fastest route, um, you know, avoid traffic stops. Because in your case, when you rent electric vehicles, uh, sitting in traffic, waiting for it to... Uh, Die is probably a little hateful. Um, you, you know, it, it, it actually has. Anywhere. Um, it's had a, had a couple new features that I hadn't seen before because of the traffic scenario that I came into. Uh, and and what you're talking about, it actually asks you. Uh, you know, there's a traffic uh, 
slow down up ahead. This is an alternate route. It might, you know, we, we still think that this might be the fastest, but do you want to take street level instead of being on the interstate, for example? And you say, sure, I'll do that instead. It actually starts giving you choices now. Uh, where, where before, you know, it might not do anything at all. Uh, and I, I took advantage of some of those choices because I, you know, even though it said it was a stoppage of, or a slowdown of 10 minutes, I knew better because, you know, you look into that scenario and all these people trying to converge into the interstate and you know, it's going to be a 20 or 30 or 40 minutes slowdown. So I took advantage of some of that and it was, it was really good. I, I was impressed. And some of the, some of the side streets are like, like residential streets. They was taking me down and all that. I'm sure those people who live on those streets probably don't like that because all of a sudden you know, it becomes an interstate. But the, the nice thing about Los Angeles, though, and I've driven to Los Angeles a lot and you spend quite a bit of time there as well is it, the difference is, there's arterial streets, and if you know where you're going or know how to navigate too, um, like I used to live in Portland, Oregon, and I'd drive the I-5 corridor, Seattle, Portland a lot, and I, I will drive Los Angeles rush hour traffic, Chicago rush hour traffic, way before I would drive either of those. This Seattle and Portland, you've got two limiting factors. You've got no arterials, um, and you've got mountains on one side and water on the other. So there's no arterial roads. Right. Los Angeles, Chicago, other big cities, you've got arterials. If yep. you there's know how to another get way, them. right? Yeah, there's always, yeah. and it's like, I can hop onto this road and I know the interstate's going to be a parking lot for the next two hours, but I can hop on this arterial road and it's going to have less traffic and it's a 50 mile an hour road and I'm going to keep moving. I, I'm going to get where I'm going. So some, there is value to movement. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the Google Maps and where they've come from and where they are now, I, I remember when you used to have to go print them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember when you okay. used to buy them. What are you talking about? Yeah. But, but the maps I Google, you used to have to go, Oh, this is really cool. And then print it off yep. and then yep. you know where you're going. I used and to use was, MapQuest more for that. Yeah. MapQuest was, yeah. was, but that was really great. Right? For, and they're still around too, by the way. You can still go do that. Uh, are they on an app or a phone or, or I'm is sure there a digital version of that now? I'm There's sure they are, but I was I was on their website not too long ago, and I'm like, wow, they still have a print. Uh, you, you can actually click on the print icon to print the directions off for you. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, kicking it old school, Marlo. Yeah, that's that's exactly it old right. <laughs> it's been okay. So we got about a minute or so left. Yep. I, I just quick little wrap up CES this year. And what what are some of the big things you're looking forward to besides going to the Arbo booth? Well, it's, it's AI for sure. And I really, so of course I'll, I'll spend some time in, in uh, self-driving vehicles. I always do because I get invited to all that space. And then any flying cars? Um, not anything yet. Uh, but that doesn't mean they don't do the, they, they don't have the drone rodeo anymore like they used to. And that's where I, that's where I flew in those in the past. So it's not a thing anymore. Uh, 3D printed houses is the other thing that uh, there's a couple booths that will be printing a house on site this year. So that'll be fun wow. to watch. That'll be cool. Yeah. That'll... You want me to bring you a home? Yeah, bring me a home home. <laughs> Would it be a tiny house? <laughs> so I fit in your carry-on? It'll be very, very tiny. Uh, maybe one of your dogs can live in it. Oh, Just a dog house. Yeah. I like that. 
And that's a wrap on another fantastic episode of The Tech Ranch. Remember, if you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. 